Hey guys, this is Ralph Macchio. Hey, what's up y'all? This is William Zabka. You're listening to Cobra Kai Companion, the podcast. Another episode of Cobra Kai Companion, and I am Peter, and I am Brianna, and today we are reviewing episode ten of season two, titled "No Mercy." This story is by five people: uh, the big three, including Luan Thomas and Joe Piarelli, and it is directed by John Hurwitz and Hayden Schlossberg, just like the uh, the previous episode. So, um, how you doing, Brianna? I'm doing great, Peter. How are you? Ah, this episode is brutal, obviously. Um, I think I watched it five times for this review. Um, I watched it four times today. Um, just today. Yeah, <laughs> J- yeah, just today. I mean, I've I've watched it. Does that make thirty-five now in total, or am I close? I stopped counting at forty about four weeks okay. ago. Yeah, so maybe sixty-two. <laughs> no, I I would say somewhere between forty and fifty for the whole season. Carry, you know, carry the the bonsai tree at a crane kick. So probably about yeah. Um, well, it's a brutal episode. It's the final one. We're finally here. Uh, we also have some news to announce, but we're not going to bring it up until after our review. Uh, some changes are uh, coming uh, to Cobra Kai Companion. And um, I guess we just get into it, just because it's so damn brutal. I I really don't see any other way to do it, no. Yeah. All right. As always, Amy S. provided our episode uh, recap, and she says, everything falls apart. Short, sweet, to the point, very accurate. Just like her. Absolutely. Yeah. No feistiness in that one. So almost like her. Yeah. 95%, I would say. So we open up with Daniel and Amanda uh, waking up in bed. Obviously, this is the night after their salsa dancing and drinking with uh, Johnny and Carmen. And uh, Amanda said last night was fun. Now, do you think she's talking about the the quasi-double date or last night with Daniel? I would hope she's talking to the man she's laying in bed with um, about him rather than his lifelong enemy. Well, you, you know, like the, the, the salsa dancing, you know, that, uh, go, going out with another couple kind of thing. It's entirely possible she was talking about the night on the whole. However, okay. it, when... The capper, the cherry on top. When married people say those particular words to each other, they're not talking about anything that came before or after. Okay. All right. Fair enough. All right. Um, Daniel goes to check in on Samantha, who's not in her room, and Anthony's back from camp. Um, Daniel asks if he's seen his sister, and she he says that he saw her the day before when he got home, uh, which I would say that was a Saturday, so this is probably Sunday morning, more than likely Sunday morning. Yeah, um, and we get more support for that as the episode goes on that this is a Sunday morning. Correct. Yep. Um... And then he asked for waffles. He wants Daniel to make it from scratch. Well, of course. I mean, you know, what else would would Daniel make him on a Sunday morning when he has obviously nothing better to do than feed Anthony? Well, I mean, if they just get some of those, like, uh, 
Eagle, Eagle, Eagle waffles? No, he specifically said he didn't want the frozen kind. Oh, I know, but that's what what what, what camp was this? What, why is he coming back all privileged? Because he is the most breakfast privileged child I've ever seen on television. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, it was nice to see Anthony back, and you know, obviously, for those that forgot where he went, we, we get it right here. Um, a logical place for an eleven-year-old boy to be all summer long. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, my oldest, he used to attend some uh, some camps during the summer, and uh, after after he graduated, I think he's gone back twice as a counselor now. You know, Bible camp. So, oh, you know, that's awesome. Kid. Yeah, um, Amanda and uh, Daniel they are in Samantha's room trying to figure out. Uh, you know, where she went. Uh, they start to wonder if Robbie and her are together. And, you know, obviously they spend all summer together, so more than likely. And uh, Aisha messages Sam on her computer. One thing about that conversation about Sam and, and Robbie being together, I love that Amanda is the one whose brain automatically goes there, and it didn't even occur to Daniel that his 16 16- sorry, 15-year-old daughter, and the 16-year-old boy that's been living in the house all summer may develop feelings for each other. It didn't even occur to him that it was possible. Well, he um, his mind hasn't really been on that, right? He's been thinking about Cobra Kai. He's been thinking about Miyagi-Do. He's been thinking about the new students. But he's spent he has spent far more time with those two children than Amanda has, and he didn't notice anything was going on. That's a good point, but uh, I guess um, mother's intuition, you know, I mean, because at Miyagi-Do, they hid their feelings for each other, you know, pretty well, I suppose, but obviously, you know. Or Daniel is just the most romantically clueless person on the face of the planet. I'm going to go with that. (laughs) I think that would fit with everything else we've seen from him this season, yes. I think it tracks, absolutely. Uh, at this point, we find out that it is 8.45 in the morning uh, because of Aisha's messages. Um, you know, this is our exposition. This is how Daniel and Amanda finds out what happened the, the night before. Um, and then he checks his uh, Find My iPhone to see where her phone, her phone is located. I, I also like that um, Amanda, being a mom, does know Sam's password to her computer, which was a big plot point in season one. Was you know when when Louis and Anoush had told Daniel that he needed to get her password and all of this, and he was you know spying on her, and it was like this big oh my god he's so intrusive moment. Of course Amanda knows her password, but Daniel does have the tracker, so he can find her. So I've never used that, and uh, you know just right before they get on the computer, Amanda tries Sam's phone, which she keeps getting the voicemail. Uh, to me, that means her phone is dead. Now, can you still track the phone if the phone is dead? I can tell you this from personal experience that I gained a little over six weeks ago. No, if the battery is dead, find my phone will not work. However, it will ping the last known location. Okay, okay, that makes sense. So um, so that tracks too then. Uh, it's very possible that her phone died while at Johnny's overnight. Yeah, at some point after she got there. All right, so now we're at Johnny's apartment. Uh, Sam's sleeping um, in the, I don't want to call it a guest room. It is the guest room, but basically that would have been Robbie's room, you know, had he lived there. 
Uh, Robbie's awake. It's 9.45 in the morning, which we find out a little bit later. Um, he's going through some of Johnny's boxes. You know, he finds uh, some trophies, finds some of his old artwork. So even though Johnny has never been present, you know, he still kept things of Robbie's, you know, that he had. I looked at that one particular picture that he looked at. First of all, my question on the trophies is, are those Johnny's or are those Robbie's? Because I thought Johnny took all of his to the dojo. So that would mean that those trophies in those boxes are Robbie's. Soccer trophies, baseball trophies, whatever. Okay, I didn't even look to see what what the the little you know figures are at the top. I didn't either, really. Um, probably should, but uh, the the painting, the the little kid painting that he picks up and looks at, it says "Daddy" on it. That's right. It doesn't and say Robbie. "Dad" or "Father" or whatever. You know, it says "Daddy." So it, at some point, he knew him as Daddy, and it looks like. This, I mean, this is this is your typical child of divorced parents or child of you know separated parents painting. This is the life that he wants because it's him, Johnny, and Shannon, right together, and that just kind of breaks me in a million ways that he never got that life, but at the same point, Johnny knew how much he wanted it. Yeah, I I would peg that probably no later than second grade that picture he drew yeah i would say like six or seven yeah somewhere somewhere there's about i mean because the, the the coloring you know he doesn't even color them in solidly uh which i, I feel by second grade you're probably doing right and they first the trophies are karate trophies okay so those are jobs so there we go yep i went back and looked at that and the, that's a guy with his leg in the air so that's got to be right. a karate trophy Okay, and um, we cut to Johnny uh, frying some bologna. You know, I got to say, it's kind of interesting to see that apartment because we've been in, in that apartment. I know. Yeah, um, we did not go into the room Sam slept in, but we, um, I've been in Johnny's room. Did you walk in there? I didn't walk into Johnny's room. I actually did walk into the guest room because I was talking about the 10,000 Rubbermaid tubs and cardboard boxes standing in the corner. Ah, okay. So, uh, yeah, if, if anybody wants to see pictures, uh, we have it. You can probably visit our main Facebook page. I did share uh, our trip down to Atlanta. Uh, for those that don't know, we, we did uh, get to see some of the sets. Um, I didn't see any bologna in the fridge, but that's probably good because I don't think the fridge was plugged in. Um, yeah, and it would be kind of like the bologna in The Outsiders would have ended up, which if you've been eating unrefrigerated bologna for four days, I'm sorry, Johnny and Pony are dead long before the fire anyway. Johnny says that, um, tells Robbie that he's got to tell the LaRussos, which I think is the adult thing to do. Uh, and Robbie says that he wants to take the blame. Yeah, and, and I think that was obviously the right choice. I personally think he should have called them the night before, but I also understand why he didn't. Um, but, you know, I, I, can, I can see both sides through this entire situation. The thing that really, really gets me about Robbie saying he'll take the blame is he's protecting Johnny and Sam and Daniel. He doesn't, he doesn't right. want to hurt Daniel, and he doesn't want to hurt Amanda, and he doesn't want Sam to get in trouble, and he doesn't want Johnny to get in. And he's trying to protect everyone. And that is very much the child of an alcoholic, 
He's like, take care of everyone, protect everyone, because that's his job. Yeah, and I know Johnny doesn't deliberately say it, but what he does say is that I got to tell LaRusso, I I get the impression that he has Daniel's number. I think that he is saying that he's going to call him because what's the alternative? Like, well, I'll tell him in person when I take Sam home. Yeah, no, I, I think that Johnny has Daniel's phone number. Um, I've thought that all season. It never even occurred to me that he didn't. I don't know if Daniel has Johnny's, but I think Johnny does have Daniel's. Right. If nothing else, because it would have been on the 10,000 business cards that I'm sure that Daniel gave him when he got the car. I, you know what? If I was up on a billboard spray painting a rocket ship, you know, the number's right there, too. Right. Giant, giant phone number right there. And on <laughs> all of the all of the paperwork that they may or may not have ever filled out. Because um, I even asked Hurwitz, did they ever fill it out or has Johnny been driving Daniel's car all this time? It's it's a gray area, but yeah. I do believe Johnny knows Daniel's phone number. All right, uh, Daniel shows up, so it took um less than an hour or yeah, about an hour to get ready and drive all the way down there. Definitely did not take him overnight. No, or all morning. No, <laughs> he knew exactly where to go. Uh, was it knocking on every single door? Well, yeah, he um, was. They he she was between um oh I just forgot the name of between Sherman Way and Satakoy and Daniel grew up on Satakoy, so of course he knows exactly where that is. Oh, well, there, there you go. That's why you're on the show. Uh, he sees the Challenger. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, Johnny tells Robbie to go into the uh, other room and that he's got his back because Daniel. Uh, I guess he knew exactly which apartment to go to. Uh, I mean, Johnny could be parking in a space marked two. I'm not sure. but um, Don't remember there being any numbers on those parking spaces. Yeah, not in person, but you know. Yeah, maybe they're supposed to be there. But uh, Johnny won't let Daniel in until he cools off. Uh, but uh, he kicks the door and lets himself in. Hits uh, Johnny right in the face. They both have very good points here. Yeah. Um. It's Johnny's house, and he's trying to yes. tell Daniel, it's okay, kids do this, they're fine, they're safe, relax. However, you do not tell the father of a missing child to calm down. It is about the dumbest thing you could say to a terrified parent. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of with Johnny on this one. I'm with both of them. Um, I am too, but I, I think... I think Daniel needed to calm down. Oh, I, I I, don't know that Daniel so much needed to calm down at that point. Now, after Johnny told him to calm down, Daniel needed to calm down. Before Johnny told him to calm down, he was actually pretty sane. That changed pretty quickly. People don't put their foots, you know, through other people's front doors if they're in a good mood. Yeah, and I guess, to be fair, Johnny was trying to shut the door on him. If he had just stood there with the door open, are you going to Are you gonna be good? Are you going to be cool? All right, if you are, I will let you in. Exactly. Johnny is defending his home, but Daniel is looking for his missing daughter. I mean, there's, right. there's a clear conflict of interest here, and I can literally see both sides. I can too, but I'm still going to give the edge to Johnny just because... All right, my daughter's missing. I know she's here. And if you're saying that they're good, I will calm down. Please let me in. You know, I, I, but but these are people who, when they see each other, they, they kind of revert back to their adolescence. Right? Exactly. Okay. So um, 
I think it was uh, Joey Z that uh, at least this is the first time where I I saw the comparison, but he made a comment in our group, which I think is part of the feedback that uh, this kind of mirrors the the moment where Daniel kicks the fence and uh, the, or the gate rather and hits Freddie in the face. Um, a little bit. I guess, okay. except, I mean, there he was just kicking the gate because his hands were full. Yeah. And here he's doing it because he wants in that freaking house and he doesn't really care. Right. Uh, okay. Two completely different emotional states. You know, 15-year-old Daniel was perfectly fine and 49-year-old Daniel is, Daniel is pissed as hell. So. Yeah. I can I can see where he's going with it just because you know Daniel's facing to the right. You know, if it was facing to the left, I don't think anybody's going to make that comparison. Right, right. And yeah. his his kicking ability has gotten much better in the last 34 years. I would hope so. I would too. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely hope so. Um Sam is awoken uh by Daniel calling for her and uh the two start fighting. I would say there's an Easter egg here, except Easter eggs are generally hidden, and this one they beat us in the head with repeatedly as these two are doing the same moves, at pretty close to the same moves in the living room as they did on the mat um, 34 years ago. Um, Daniel can punch harder and kick harder, and I'm just impressed that they can both still get their legs that high. I don't really yeah. know who would have won the contest if they'd had it at the restaurant. Um, it's a good question. It's a good. It's a very good question. Maybe we'll we'll yeah. uh, get more than thirty seconds of fight the next time this happens. We'll we will see. Um, it, it sounded like you know this fight was supposed to be longer, but you know they they want they they didn't want to show too much eggs in their basket. What was the expression? Uh, don't want to show their cards too early. That, that would be. Uh, you don't want to put don't all put, your eggs in right, one basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, you Ross go. and Rachel almost got married how many times before they really did? It was a break. <laughs> Sorry. That's a good. <laughs> Perfectly fine. Uh, there uh, is one Easter egg in the fight. Okay. And it is the same as the um, Daniel sitting down at the restaurant. It's a camera angle. Only this time it. And this one, there is no way this is an accident because of where they had to put that camera to get that shot. They could not have put it there on accident. Daniel pushes himself up off the floor after Johnny kicks him through the TV. He pushes himself okay. up off the floor in the exact same position, exact same angle with the almost exact same look on his face that he pushed himself up out of the sand on the beach. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that now, actually. Yeah. Um, I like it. I like and it. that one. I will uh, that one. I will go so far as to say there is no way that was an accident because we have seen that corner. We know how tight that position had to be to get that camera in there. They could not have put it there on accident. Yeah, I'm sure it was deliberate. Absolutely. I mean, you got to remember who's filming uh, or directing this episode, especially. Yes. Um, I like the little touch here with uh, Sam coming out in a really faded Cobra Kai shirt T-shirt. The last thing in the world Daniel needs to see at this point. Yeah, and the other thing that I kind of noticed was uh, her makeup. Um, her mascara, I, I'm guessing it is. It's kind of, um, it looks, 
it's running sideways. So I think at some point she was crying, you know, while laying down, probably in bed. Not necessarily. No? Um, she got a rubbed it. I I may have a little bit of experience um, having passed out drunkenly in makeup before. And okay. that's pretty well what your eyeliner and mascara look like when you wake up the next morning. Okay. So Probably just eye rub too. Though. Right. It looks like she slept in her makeup, which you're never supposed to do. So you know, um, and it just got all over the place. I think she she looks very much like she just slept off a drunk. Okay. So here's another question: Did she throw up? I have no idea. None of us were brave enough to go in Johnny's bathroom. <laughs> well, the the reason I ask because who put her in that shirt? Did she throw up? Most likely. I would I would have to say so. She was pretty sick. Who? You know, she drank quite a bit. Right. Who put her in the shirt? I would imagine that Robbie or Johnny, one of them, found it, gave it to her, walked out, closed the door. Yeah. And neither one of them opened that door again until either she came out. Or an hour and a half had passed and she was asleep. Yeah. So that pretty much ends it. The, uh, you know, the kids, they kind of stop it. One of the things that impresses me the most about these two men at this point is, I mean, they're going at it, right? Daniel's like, you want to finish this? And Johnny's like, bring it on, right? This is 35 years in the making. They're going to, they're going to go. They're going to do it. They're in the middle of a fight. Their children tell them to stop. Daniel immediately drops his guard, drops his hands, turns his back. Johnny drops his hands too. There's, they, they trust each other. And just the fact that Daniel would turn his back on someone he's in the middle of fighting screams to me that he knows if he turns his back on Johnny again. No cheap shots. No cheap shots this time. Right. And Johnny didn't even cheap shot him the last time he turned his back on him. He intentionally grabbed him and turned him around before he kicked him. So he wouldn't cheap shot him. I mean, Johnny goes out of the way to fight clean now. And Daniel trusts him to do it. So the fact that they can just both immediately stop when the kids tell them to is a maybe a small sign of maturity. In, you know, these two grown ass men who are immature about everything. (laughs) Yeah, they are. Um, And this is where, you know, like Daniel also tells Robbie that, you know, he trusted him, gave him a second chance. uh, And I guess he doesn't care if Robbie wants to end up being like his dad, which just another shot. Like, I didn't think that was warranted at all. This whole thing was a mistake. Those. Yeah. I love Daniel. Everybody knows how much I love Daniel. He's my favorite. He will always be my favorite, no matter what he he does. (laughs) But baby done fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. He, this is not a good look for him right now. No, this was wrong. This was very wrong. Yeah. You took this boy in and to call it a mistake. Yeah. And and not hearing anybody out. You tell him you're proud of him. You tell him you love him. You tell him you're happy. He's part of your family. You basically call the child your son. And then because he makes one bad decision that he didn't even make, you throw him away. You don't do that with children, especially not children who have been thrown away like garbage their entire lives. Mm hmm. 
I I adore Daniel, but this was wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the it cuts to the next day, first day of school. So we're assuming that this is a Monday now, and we open up with a cruel summer, a little mini montage as we do, just like the first Karate Kid, right? Um. You know, we we see a glimpse of buses, but nobody on a bike this time around. Nobody on a bike. Um, We've got, you know, cars and buses and kids hugging each other in hallways, which I really want to know what high school kids are hanging out in the hallways hugging each other on the first day of school because my kids don't do that. And I didn't do that when I was in high school. It would be like, you know, hey, hi, missed you. No, no, that's that's absolutely a thing. People still hugging. I I hugged, you know, girls and stuff uh, back at school on the first day. I, I mean, any any day, hugging was a was a way of greeting. Um, I'm still doing that with you know people I run into. Girls are usually hugs. Guys are you know the side hugs. People on the West Coast must be way friendlier than people in the Midwest. Then it could be. You know, I, I guess I, I forgot about that. Maybe it's a regional thing. Maybe my hometown is just full of assholes and I don't want to hug any of them. <laughs> That's exactly it. Entirely possible. <laughs> but uh, I'm also in a state where everything's, I mean, not everything, but uh, certain something is legal. I don't know. But I'm not trying to say kids are out there doing things like that. Um, but you're all pretty mellow is what you're saying. Yeah, sure. I think a lot of people are, but uh, who knows? Maybe something in that water over there. <laughs> Check back with me on January 1st. All right. Oh, hey. Damn. Uh, so Miguel's standing by himself uh, as Aisha walks up to him. Uh, we find out that Tori has not replied to any of his text messages from all weekend, uh, starting with the, the night of the party. And Aisha says that uh, not a good sign that Tori didn't show up on the first day of school. The thing that really, really gets me about this this shot of Miguel's phone screen is, remember when he couldn't get a hold of Sam for an hour yeah. at the end of season one? And he texted her, uh, like, you can see his screen. It's like 220, 221, 223, 225, 226. Yeah, like, he, yeah. And her phone is constantly buzzing, and he's constantly calling, and he's leaving voicemails. And all of this, when he couldn't get a hold of her for, you know, an hour or two. His text messages with Tori are at 11.40 p.m. on Saturday, 12.07 a.m. on Sunday, and then 8.24 on Monday. He texted her three times, including the time that we see him finishing the text to her. Mm -hmm. So he's obviously, either he's, I, I, I don't know how else to read it. It's like he's worried about her, but he isn't nearly as obsessed with knowing where she is as he was with Sam? I I think it's uh, guilt probably plays a part in that. You know, he's guilty that, uh, you know, he him and Sam kissed, and that's probably what's been on his mind. He doesn't know how to feel about uh, what happened with Sam, so he's not trying so hard with Tori. But I think the lack of text messages to Tori shows that his mind is mostly on Sam right now. That's actually a very good point. And if he does get a hold of Tori, then what does he say? How does he say it? Does he tell her? Um, Because he doesn't know that she was standing there. I I would imagine that this would be like a role reversal if we had a couple more episodes and uh, let's say Tori does show up for school. Now I think that if Miguel is there... 
Well, it might be different, but I, w- I would think that Miguel would do what Robbie did, you know, kind of stand back and not really say anything because he feels guilty about something. You know, I could I could see him doing that. Plus, he's also very, very well aware of the fact at this point that he does not feel as strongly for Tori as he does as he for Sam him. as he and right. as he as he still does. So, you know what it is? She doesn't have an octopus. This is true. She doesn't. Yeah, yeah. He never won her one, and she doesn't have one to, uh, to give him. So there's no octopuses involved in this relationship, and that's probably what it is. That's it. That's it. Absolutely. No magic. Yep. No, no magic octopus. Nope. No magic octopus. Yep. So we're creating a thing there. Right. Um, Daniel and Sam they pull up in front of the school. Uh, Sam is really apologetic, and Daniel's not really listening to her. Uh, she's literally like apologizing for everything. I'm sorry I got in the car wrong. I'm sorry I didn't put on my seatbelt fast enough. But um, he just wants her to focus on pre-calculus. Uh, I like that she's sticking up for Robbie here. I think that this, I, I, I think that this is not the first time she has said this to him. Um, and the look on his face is like he think he he realizes he should be listening to her and he should be responding to the fact that. No, this was not Robbie's fault, but he's still trying to get himself out of it. Daniel, you're still wrong. You cannot fix what you did. And you can't ignore it away. You still screwed up. Yeah. My big question is, where is Sam's car? Parked at the house. How did it get there? They probably went to go get it from Moon's house. You know, maybe Sam, uh, maybe Amanda and Daniel went over there and then one drove, drove it back. If she left it at Moon's house, then wouldn't the police have known that she was at the party and shown up at the house to arrest her for underage drinking? But how do you prove that? I mean, I don't know if they would have gone through that much trouble to figure out who owned what, you know, what car. Oh, they definitely uh, would here. But again, little oh, tiny wow. town, the cops know everybody. I mean, everybody's car anyway. Yeah, I mean, if if they said whose car is that, and Moon says, "Oh, it's you know my mom who's out of town," I don't think they'd be like, "I think you're lying," and start you know running the plates, right? I think they would probably be more busy, um, you know, taking care of whoever she they they might have caught at the party. It, it just it just occurred to me, you know, watching it today to to wonder about that because. Aisha sent the text saying, you know, or the, the, you know, the text message that I hope you Ubered. And I'm like, okay, well, if they did, then Sam's car is still at Moon's house. If, but Robbie has a driver's license. So Robbie could have driven, but then that would mean that Sam's car is at Johnny's and we didn't see it in the parking lot. So very likely just parked around the block across the street something like that yeah and no way is daniel letting her drive home from johnny's because she's probably still half drunk right um so where is the bmw yeah uh, I, again I, I think at some point you know uh, daniel took her back home cuz i mean that was what uh that was between 9:45 and let's say 10 yes uh in the morning right so at some point daniel took her or immediately after the fight daniel takes her home they had all day Sunday to go retrieve the car before Monday. Morning. Oh, that's true. He and Amanda could have gone and gotten it. Yeah, I, I might have said Sam's name by mistake, but I meant Daniel and Amanda went to Moon's house to get the car. That's yeah, yeah. You said you said he would take okay. Sam home, and then they would go get it. Yeah. So I just assumed you meant yeah. Amanda. Oh uh, yeah. Um, I after watching this episode a number of times, uh, it, it occurred to me that on this show, 
when you're in front of the school and you're with your parent, things usually aren't good. The first time we saw this was Carmen and Miguel. At this age, being in front of the school building with your parent is just about the most humiliating thing possible. Is it, though? At that age? Absolutely. My my children make me drop them off in the back of the school. Huh. They will not. Let, oh, if I drop them off in the front because they need to go to the office for whatever reason, my daughter gets so mad. She's just furious that I'm dropping her off in front of the school. I think my kids were just, I don't know, I don't want to say like happier that they were being dropped off and not had to take the bus because at some points they all took the bus and were fine with it. But I think they preferred because it was just easier. You know, you don't have to stop 10 times before getting to the school. Um, You know, just ways to sleep in longer and then you just get to school and, you know, start your day. But um, I remember dropping off my son one time and he was talking to like two girls and this was like sophomore year. And I'm like, oh, I guess I got to sneak me a picture and put it on the book of faces. And he wasn't uh, mad about it, but he was more kind of like, ah, damn, got caught. (laughs) I was like, who are those girls? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. But um, because now Johnny and Robbie pull up and I'm trying to wonder how many different places could there be? Is Daniel in front of them? You know, with Sam? Johnny is in a parking lot. Okay. Um. So, I and I don't remember the layout of, you know, the outside of the school well enough, but there's other cars over Johnny's shoulder. So, it looks like okay. he's, in a, he's in a parking lot somewhere where Daniel was in the circle drive where the, you drive west to pick up and you drive east to drop off. And, you, you know, like the PTA moms always go really ballistic if you drive the wrong direction in the circle drive. Oh yeah, we have one of those. Yeah. Um, I I, I forgot to mention the, this one little nice touch that I, that I liked uh, when Daniel and Sam were talking. Uh, there was a faculty member in the background, you know, just greeting the kids as they came in. You know, it easily could have just been a bunch of kids walking to the front door, but I just like that one little touch there. The uh, the gentleman in the background. The sign that there are employees at this school. Yeah, grown-ups at that. Right, there are a couple. Yeah, Mr. Palmer being one of them. Oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> uh, we're not there yet. Not yet. Uh, soon. Uh, how soon? Um, anyway, Johnny and Robbie, uh, or Johnny picks up pencils and or bought pencils and papers for Robbie's first day, uh, but he couldn't find the trapper keeper. You know that between Sunday morning and Monday morning, that Johnny is buying school supplies from Nestor. And that's very possible. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that Nestor wouldn't sell trapper keepers, but I love that little, little tiny throwback to the 80s because immediately my brain goes back to the ones that I had the heart with the rainbows on it and the hot air balloon and then the sunglasses. You know, I had the really cool sunglasses on the orange one for fifth grade. I was like the coolest person ever for a day and a half. And then somebody came in with the unicorn one and took the crown from me, you know. Oh, people people love them some unicorns, though. Oh, absolutely. Now, you just got me thinking, um, you know, you, you mentioned sometime Sunday, well, at some point on Sunday, we're assuming that Johnny went to go uh, get these uh, little supplies, a uh, paper and a pencil. Um now, Robbie was there the rest of the day. I would assume that they at least went to, well, maybe they just just finished off the uh, the baloney there 
but I would imagine they at least went out to dinner. Right, and they would also have had to do something about the fact that Robbie moved back in with his father with literally nothing other than the clothes on his back. For now, yeah. So, goodwill? Catholic charities? Goodwill. I don't know if Johnny's that broke. Um, no, maybe not. You know, he might even have a Cobra Kai uh, credit card. But this would also be somewhere that both of them are very familiar with shopping. Yeah. I mean, what are the odds that Robbie has ever had the, you know, this year's style Aeropostale shirt? You know, he's wearing two years ago that he got at uh, Plato's Closet or something. You know. Yeah. Maybe Robbie went shopping for his own clothes and then Johnny picked up the supplies on his own. That's possible. Yeah. Uh, met back up for dinner or something. Yeah. Um. So Robbie feels bad about Sam's situation with her parents, and um, he tells Johnny that they really helped him out, especially Miyagi Do. And um, I thought this was interesting too because Miguel tries calling Johnny, and I'm wondering what for because he had just previously tried texting Tori. Probably to get advice, I'm not sure. But the thing that strikes me is that the picture ID is like Sholo's headshot. <laughs> or not headshot, but like a professional photo of him. <laughs> Unless Johnny took that photo. <laughs> uh, well, you know, or or maybe um, it was meant to be Miguel's picture from school the year before or something. And, and he used it. You know, I don't know. But it's, it's an excellent <laughs> picture. Um, it's a great picture, but I saw that I go, how would Johnny have a picture of that of Miguel? I don't know. Why does Johnny have half the things he does? Why does he have <laughs> why does he have the perfect eighties salt and pepper shakers, our friends, oven temp and rear? You know? Inside joke. Yes. <laughs> um good question. Uh the the thing that I like the most about this conversation, not it only is Robbie still sticking up for Daniel. Yeah, it says that they can probably help each other. Or you, yeah. you two could probably. I'm just saying, you two could maybe learn a thing or two from each other. Right, and Johnny never says no. No, he doesn't. And the look on his face when he says that is about the same as the look on Daniel's face when Sam tells him that he should probably reconsider forgiving Robbie because it wasn't Robbie's fault. It's like, okay, the kids are right, and. I'm an asshole, but I'm going to keep being one because this is all I've been for 30 years. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Um, then, the, let me see. Is it Miguel's walking through the hallway, right? Wait, who who are we following right here where we get the uh, smart answering machine of Johnny Lawrence? Miguel. Okay. Yeah, so um, a smart answering machine. That's a new one. It's an Ericsson. Sony Ericsson, yeah. So. I do love that we get to hear Johnny's voicemail message, and it is absolutely what I would expect for a voicemail message from someone who has never had a voicemail in his life. Yeah, yeah. I, and, uh, you know, he didn't have to be, like, really badass with it. You know, he was uh, kind of professional. A little bit, a little bit, and a little bit proud of his smartphone answering machine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Robbie uh, meets up Sam in the hallway. Uh you know, does the whole, like, hey, uh, can you help me? I'm a new student here. Thought that was kind of cute. Um, she admits she was wrong. 
you know, I know a lot of people give Sam shit, you know, says everything's her fault. Well, you guys aren't wrong, and Sam has admitted it, which I think maybe they forget. <laughs> I also, you know? I think a lot of people that blame Sam for everything, first of all, are doing it intentionally to get a rise out of people, which irritates me um, to all kinds of words I can't say. Even though we are marked explicit, we would be like quadruple X-rated. Um, missing the point intentionally. And then there are those people that just think it's always the woman's fault no matter what. These forgetting that these are children. You can't look at their choices through the eyes of an adult. We made these mistakes when we were 15, 16 years old, too. I got in worse trouble than any of these kids did. Oh, yeah. I, I did, too. And it's it's like you judge them through the eyes of an adult, and they do it to Daniel now, too, when looking back at the, at the Karate Kid movie. You can't judge him through the eyes of an adult. He's 15. You can't right. judge Sam and Robbie and Miguel and Tori through the eyes of an adult. They're 16. They're kids. All my troubles happened when I was 15 and 16. Mine were 17 and 18. Yeah, by then I had a kid, and so I was forced to grow up. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't have that till I was. I was twenty, but it. I was. I. I would say I was kind of like Miguel. You know, um, messing wrong, messing with the wrong girls. I had guys that were after me. Uh, I had one instance. Uh, somebody uh, broke into my car, which is parked in front of my house. Um, really close to the house. Uh, actually, very close to my bedroom window as well uh, somebody broke open the lock lit up a road flare and tossed it into the seat um, luckily the windows were all rolled up because the smoke put the fire out otherwise it probably would have blew up uh, cops came took notes and did a report and said that they, they, they deemed it attempted murder for how close the car was to the house that's the kind of trouble i got into um, well, you trump my drank myself out of college twice and woke up with a dead man in my front yard. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that was the, that's one instance, you know, with the car, uh, va- vandal, vandal, vandalize. The, yeah, the, the, the dead man in the front yard was obviously a one-time thing. Um. And you, you said my attempted murder was Trump's dad? Yeah. Well, Hopefully you had nothing to do with the dead man. We had nothing to do with the dead man in the front yard. Um, Someone had broken into our house while I was at work and my roommate was home by herself. And this this guy had broken into our house. um, And she called the cops. He and she locked herself behind like seven locked doors. So he never got to her. And the cops showed up and they chased him off. And... I get home from work and I walk through my front door to a gun and a flashlight in my face going, who the hell are you? Um, I live here. (laughs) This is my house, you know, Um, because they were parked around back and I came in the front door. So I didn't see them. I had no idea what was going on until, you know. So they told me someone had broken in. It was this horrible. And we were up all night with the cops trying to find this guy. And my roommate was terrified. And I just wanted the cops to leave because I was 18 and I wanted to get drunk because it seemed like a good night to get drunk. Um, And they finally left at like 4 in the morning, fell asleep on the couch, wake up at 6.30 in the morning to the cops beating on the front door again, telling us there is a very bloody dead man in our front yard. 
Wow. And they wanted my roommate to come outside and tell them if it was the man that had broken into the house. And they rolled him over and she puked and came running back into the house. We, and she was like, I don't know. I don't know. He didn't have blood on his face the last time I saw him, if it was him. Yeah. So you, you, it, this, this was a case of right place, wrong time. Right. And then yeah. we're standing out there and they're interviewing us because there's a dead man in our front yard. So, you know, in the hour and a half between the cops leaving and the cops coming back. Um, and I look down at the sidewalk and there's a very bloody Kleenex on the ground between us. And I look at the cop and I point at the sidewalk and he, he goes, what, what? And I was like, do you think that might be important? Uh, yeah. Because this is like 50 feet from where the dead guy is. Right. And he was like, Oh, maybe. And he picked it up <laughs> and he was like, okay, well you can go back inside now. And an hour and a half later, they got the body to the hospital. They did x-rays. Cops are beating on the door again. Dun, 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 dun. Okay, nobody murdered the dead guy in your front yard. He had an aneurysm. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. But, you know, the bloody Kleenex was because he had a nosebleed. Yeah. Yikes. That's why Ooh. your attempted murder trumps my dead guy. Yeah. yeah. There, there was another time that uh, my car, you know, we got uh, tires were slashed and it got keyed and there was a, a nice little message on my hood, which my dad's like, "Oh, this is personal. They know your name." I go, "Yeah, think." <laughs> <laughs> like I don't, I don't know if anybody's gonna go around just slashing tires and keying cars for nothing. But yeah, the the fact that they keyed my name uh, with this message, um, that got me sent away, uh, which I ended up coming back on my own. So oh wow, I got in some trouble. I, I mean, you guys don't. Uh, Peter was a bad boy. Most of my trouble came after I graduated from high school once I was on my own. I was a very sheltered child of very strict Catholic parents. So mm, see, I was the opposite. It, I mean, I had my rebellion. Like I spent, you know, most of my senior year of high school drunk. They didn't know that. But um, most of the real trouble that I got into was after I left for, for college because I was on my own and responsible for myself and I never had been. And when you've never been allowed to make your own decisions, you make really bad ones. Yeah. See, I didn't go to college, so I guess, you know, I was compensating for what was to come. I guess. I don't know. Because I went to all types of, you know, house parties, you know, schoolhouse parties that you would see in, you know, at you know, Moon's house. You know, I, I went to those parties freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year. Um, the ones you see in American Pie and, and all those. I might have thrown some of those myself. Um yeah, I I had a wild high school, high school time, high school days, high school years. Yeah, and I was the I was the four point nine six GPA that drank myself out of college twice. So oh, lucky you. Yeah, I, I we're not gonna go where where my GPA was. I I graduated. That's all that matters. Yay! That's yeah. what I can say about my kids too. They graduated. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hey, anyway, a for effort. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get back to our notes here. Uh, so I mentioned Sam uh, admitting that she was wrong, and Robbie says it's his fault too. Yeah, and at, at this point, um, I think it's worth noting that the kids are actually being much more mature about everything than their fathers are. Yeah. But then again, yeah, I think that's, that's been a theme. It, it has been a theme throughout the whole point of the show. The, the children are the ones that um, 
like figure out what they're doing wrong and stop doing it or at least try. Yeah. Right. Uh, he then says, uh, no more lying, which I, I think was uh, an interesting use of, uh, or choice of word wording, I guess, um, rather than no more secrets. Uh, right. He says no more lying. Um, and he apologizes for the Medal of Honor, which we did mention. Well, he probably did not hand it to Sam to get brownie points, and he right. says as much here. Uh, and Sam was not saved by the bell, but also doesn't get a chance to you know, tell him what she is. Right. Um, and it's interesting to me here. I mean, I would have thought Robbie especially would have figured out that the keeping secrets and lying thing was a bad idea. The last time he got busted out in a big, huge plot scheme between his dad and Daniel, which blew up completely in his face, you know, and they had had the discussion about not keeping secrets from Miguel and Robbie's doing the, oh, you have no idea, I relate, and he'd come to this big decision to go tell Daniel the truth, and that whole thing blew up in his face. Um, I think it's great that the kids are learning that lying is bad and okay, but they keep learning that lying is bad because they keep doing it. But again... They're kids. Yeah, I mean, I, I at least th- like that Robbie is trying to be better. Uh, he doesn't even want to be late to his first, you know, late to class on his first day of school. I mean, the the previous year, he was skipping school, missing a, a, like a month. Exactly. You know? Robbie, under Daniel's guidance, has become a goody two-shoes, and I'm really kind of here for it. I love yeah. it. Yeah, I mean... I. I as much as we like shitty characters, and, and what I mean is like bad characters, not poorly written or anything like that. I root for Walter White, Breaking Bad. Like I, I that man ain't shit, but that's who I'm rooting for on that show. Um, I like it when people have an arc. You know, like Robbie isn't still bad. He was bad in the first season. He's gotten better. You know, I I, I like to see changes in people. Right. And I I like the way they're doing it with Robbie and Miguel and the girls, you know, with Sam and Tori, too, that they keep interweaving with each other and like doing the same thing in reverse where, um, you know, Miguel took five episodes in season one to go from the goody two shoes to the badass. And Robbie also took they were five different episodes, but it took him five episodes to go from being the petty criminal to the kid who wants to be better. Yeah, and and they're both kind of following their own path this season, which you know they're they're both coming to the same conclusions, but they're getting there in different ways. And then you know, in a minute, it doesn't matter which direction they're going. So, right. Ah, uh, damn. Uh, we get an introduction of a new character. Alice, uh, she's the school news announcer. Is, is there another word? Um, for it? generally that fell to the assistant principal. Yeah, and and we barely even had that in high school. Um, I don't know if it's because of the size of our school and the student body, but we didn't have announcements like that. Uh, and usually, daily announcements are done in class. Um, I think if it's over the intercom, it's usually something a lot bigger and something they want to make sure everybody heard. 
Now, when I was in high school, homeroom was from 10 to 10.15 every morning. And that was when announcements happened. And it was what's on the lunch menu today, what teams are playing, where are we going, or is there going to be a fan bus sign up, uh, what fundraisers are going on, when are tryouts for the school play. Um, and then my senior year, they started that Channel One thing where Lisa Ling came from. And it was it was a news program geared toward high school kids. Okay. I wonder if things have changed since I've been in school, but that's this is all new to me. That was that was that was the late 80s. I graduated in 1991. So that was the late 80s in bumfuck nowhere Illinois. Um and, and now <laughs> it's still in bumfuck nowhere Illinois. Uh they have what's called enrichment, which is basically our homeroom and it's the first half hour of the day instead of the 15 minutes that we had, but Every morning at eight twenty, eight twenty to eight thirty is announcements. So yeah, our our homeroom that's that's pretty much what it was. Uh, usually we wouldn't go straight to first period. We have you know twenty thirty minutes whatever homeroom was. It, it it was obviously a brief an abbreviated class. You don't get points, but that's where these announcements and things and you know we had time to uh, finish homework if if we needed you know kind of like an additional study hall. Um, but yeah, this, this is, this is, um, foreign to me. This, uh, this, this actor or this character is played by Natasha Tina Liu. I don't know if she'll be back, but she's welcoming everyone to the, you know, to the, to a new year at West Valley High. And in the background, there's a, a couple of flyers for a, a back to school party on August 25th. Back to School, also a movie that Billy was in. I was looking for Easter eggs on the bulletin board and did not notice that one. I was trying to figure out what Chess Club was. <laughs> I did. Chess Club is back. Yes, I think is uh, is that one. So I'm I'm excited for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, uh, Rick also pointed out, and I, I did see this in the subtitle that, and this comes later on, but I might as well bring it up now. Yes. Um, but yeah, they, uh, I guess they're going to have a production of Grease coming up um, at school. This this one, I think that Rick hit dead on accurate one 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 smack of the hammer on the head of the nail, and he got this mm-hmm. one. Um, and Th- this is not a nod. This is a this is head a shake aggressive yes. aggressive head shake up and down. Uh, Johnny shaking the salt 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 wait pep, uh, he salt? aggressively salting his eggs. <laughs> Thank you, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> they, yeah, it. this one is a full blown homage, um, and you know he posted the picture and he was like, the microphones are the same, and you know they they keep cutting to the the speaker for the PA, and then the kids in the class and all of this stuff, and he couldn't depict it visually, but I did pick up watching it this time. It also starts with the ding 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 ding. Okay. Um, from and that is absolutely from Greece. Now in Greece, the secretary played that on a chime, and on this one, it's just a tone, but it is the same little tune. So, so you know how you have said before on, on a number of episodes, I I, I feel uh, that it's like you don't even know me. Yeah. I I've seen Greece a total of one time. Oh my god! But but I've seen it. I've seen it. So uh, I would not have made that comparison. I would not have noticed that nod. 
but uh, kudos to Rick there. Have you ever seen Grease 2? No. Oh, I, thank God. I, I know somebody. Well, hold on now. I know somebody who loves that movie. Well, my late sister loved that movie, but it's crap. I'm just saying what saves you <laughs> from only having seen Grease one time is the fact that you've never seen Grease 2. That's the only thing that saves it. Uh, it's really bad. It's really bad. Okay. <laughs> I probably won't. I mean, I, I'm sure I would end up watching Grease before Grease 2 again. So. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, Grease is a classic. You have to. The funny thing is my sister, who is eight years younger than me, she somehow grew up watching that movie. But that's some, that's something I missed. How? Just what, I don't know. I, I mean, I know I pick my own movies, but I was also one of those kids who, you know, went to the local wherever I rented movies and I would judge a movie by its cover. And there was nothing wrong with degrees. There was nothing wrong with degrees. One of my sisters is uh, named after Olivia Newton-John. I say it was the 50s in the 80s. It doesn't get much better than that. You know? I don't know why I didn't watch I mean, I watched Saturday Night Fever with John Travolta. Okay. I like that movie. Well, that's I, something. I, I, don't know how, I don't know how I just didn't grow up with Grease, but I've seen it. Okay. I, I think that's... I've seen it. Have you ever seen Xanadu? I know what that is. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know what that is because of previous episodes I have been on on other shows where we do, like, music and movie drafts, things of this nature. That seems to come up on a lot of uh, uh, music list or movie lists that involve music. Uh, Xanadu often comes up. Yes. And Never Ending Story. That that uh, I heard that for the first time on a draft that I did on... Was it Music Ate My Brain? Where we were drafting music from 80s movies that were uh, original 80s music movies. Wait. Lamal had Lamal had one hit, and it was one of the biggest hits of the entire decade. And it was Is that, the name that of the group? song. Yeah, Lamal did Never End Story. I think okay, I'm, I thought this was a person. I think I'm pronouncing it right. L okay. L I M A H L. It's. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> that was the only Little hit they had in the United States. Literally There's the only song they ever released in the United States. <laughs> plenty of one-hit wonders out there, especially in the 80s. Yeah, we were good for those. Yeah, we were. Quiet Riot is a thing. That sounds familiar. Now, uh, we cut to Hawk and Miguel, and uh, Hawk is giving Miguel kudos for kissing Sam, but obviously he feels guilty because he's technically still with Tori. Um, and a student comes up to Hawk and is like, hey, I've wet the bed. You got nothing to be ashamed of. To which Hawk tells him to, to get to get a GTFO, I think the kids say. Right. And the, the people in the class laugh, but I think they're more laughing at the kid whose books um, Hawk just knocked across the room. I think so, too. But Miguel also asks, like, what's up with that guy? I didn't get that. Like, I mean, I think, did, was Miguel not there during the speech? No. Mi no, he was outside because of the... Miguel was God, outside okay. with Sam when all of that was going on, but no one who That's wasn't right. at Moon's house would have known. I don't know that the story would have gotten around that quickly. I mean, entirely possible, because social media and Instagram and Snapchat and Facebook and all these, you know, little anonymous messaging apps and things like that 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 kids have I, i'm sure they may have all Instagramming known live that yeah they, they must have i mean dimitri went on for a while somebody got footage of that 
So they may have been laughing at Hawk. But if yeah. that was true, then why wouldn't they have been snickering as soon as he walked in? Why would they have mm. waited till the kid said something? But the kid uh, obviously it's knew. the first day, and they're all still kind of like talking about what happened over the summer. Oh, that's and true. And this reminder came up. I'm like, oh, that's, that's right. That's just true. about that. Yeah. About yeah. Yeah. Okay. That works. And then we cut to uh, somebody applying for a, a security guard position. Uh we are introduced to Mr. or not Mr. Principal. Well, I guess he is a Mr. Uh, Principal Lopez, and um, it's Stingray. Uh, now I don't. It's it's been a few months, but do you remember watching this live? I'm gonna use that word loosely. Live. Do you did you have an idea who this might have been? I knew who it was as soon as they cut to the. Um, this is a very strange request. As soon as those words came out of the principal's mouth. I knew who was going to be on the other side of that camera. Okay. All right. Um, I don't think uh, I was able to process it quick enough to come up. So when it cuts to Stingray, you know, it. Uh, I, I think the idea was to laugh, and, and I did. I was like, okay, well, this is uh, yeah, this is odd uh, that he is applying for this job. But I think I recall, I don't know if it was on Twitter or in groups or whatever, but I, I think people were like, oh, yeah, I thought it was Mike Barnes. It's like, well, this would have been a very unusual place for them to insert Mike Barnes of all people. First of all, yeah, that would have made no sense whatsoever. Um, second of all, unless Mike has changed a whole hell of a lot, which is entirely possible. It's been 33 years since the last time we saw him. I get the impression that Mike is not really a kid person. Yeah, Um right. But... He wouldn't have fit, and plus, if you're paying attention to what's going on on the screen in front of you, who is the only major character from the season who's not there yet? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, who else would pretty, it be? Yeah, good point. Uh, he's pretty confident, I think, and uh, he's ridiculous. He's pretty, he's pretty proud of his uh, himself in winning the battle at Wolf Creek. Coyote Creek? Coyote Creek. Coyote Creek. And, uh, yeah. Um, it mentions that his sensei, his sensei basically sees some potential in him um, and even thinks that uh, he's going to get his yellow belt soon strapped around his waist. Your reaction was laughter. I am sure that most people's reaction was laughter. Mm-hmm. My reaction was, oh, God. Right. There's definitely some of those. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there is. He's ridiculous. And at this point, in my mind, he's gone from socially maladjusted 30-something to really, really creepy. Because not only is he hanging out with these kids outside of school, now he wants to hang out with them all day. Maybe the the, the girlfriend didn't work out. Uh, something didn't work out. Now, <laughs> I will say at this point, okay... I adore Paul Walter Hauser. He's a phenomenally talented man. I cannot mm-hmm. wait to see his new movie, okay? He is incredibly talented, and the life that he gives to Raymond is so real. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of like with Crease, where, you know, I adore Martin Cove, but I can't stand Crease. I absolutely see the value in a character like Raymond to a lot of people because 
there are people that see themselves in him. And that's perfectly fine. There are people that see his absurdity as funny. And that's fine. He absolutely serves a purpose in the story. He was written for a very specific reason and he was written for a very specific audience. I am not that audience and that's okay. So don't at me because I don't like Raymond. I don't have to, but I'm not going to tell yeah. you that you can't either. So Yeah, there's people that don't like him. I mean, I've seen it. You know, people have voiced it. People said that this makes it unrealistic. So... I can see that. No, I don't think it necessarily makes it unrealistic because, I mean, there are people who would do this. But I just find him very creepy. But uh, I think he's just trying to get some brownie points here. He tells Mr. Principal Lopez that uh, he's got a nice setup, his office he's referring to, and uh, asks what the teacher's lounge is like. And we'll move on. Yeah, let's just go. All right. So we cut to Tori grabbing the mic from uh, Alice. And she calls out Sam here. Uh, she says that she knows what she did and that Sam is going to pay for it. Um, you know, I think the school bell does not like Sam because the bell heard this announcement made by Tori. It's like, I need to ring because now class ends. At one of the Q&As, um, I believe it was this last one, actually, uh, someone had asked Hurwitz if they ever considered putting in Easter eggs for you know, other projects, other movies, things like that, that uh, Ralph and Billy have done. And like you just mentioned, Back to School, you know, was um, on the the wall behind them. Was that, a, a, you know, little hat tip to the movie? Entirely possible because Sam is sitting there reading the back of The Outsiders. Ah, see, I, I didn't notice that. Yes. And there is it, it probably... In the realm of iconic characters from the 80s, two of the biggest, Daniel LaRusso and Johnny Cade, and Mm -hmm. Ralph played both of them. So you can't really get much more of an Easter egg or a nod to other projects that the boys have done other than having, you know, one of the kids reading a copy of The Outsiders. Yeah, and and I'm sure that... uh... Uh, Johnny Cade is played by somebody else in their universe. Well, no. Remember, be careful or you will bring the whole thing tumbling down. Have you seen The Last Action Hero? Yes. Remember when they saw the Terminator 2 sign? It was actually Stallone? Yes. (laughs) See? It's one of those. But we also have already established... I mean, we've been down this rabbit hole, Peter. Yes. Okay. All right. We'll I, move on. I blew up the universe with Peter Satira. So <laughs> yes. we need to move on. Okay. Uh, so, yep. Class ends and they encounter each other in the hallway and it gets very tense. I love the slow-mo here. Um, I like the fact that like Robbie's in a different class. Miguel and Hawk are in a different class because that gives, you know, a chance for Tori and Sam to meet up before Robbie and Miguel go running. And at this point, as a mother, we have had two major failures of school staff. First of all, we had the secretary that let Tori walk out of the office. Was she a secretary, though? I thought she was a student. No, oh, no. I, she's, I think she is most definitely a teacher. Really? I think wow. she is. This entire time, I thought she We'll have to ask that. Was Alice a student? I mean, she's also called Alice. I mean, I feel like it would have been like Mrs. something, you know? Well, I think Alice was the name of the secretary in Greece, actually. Oh, the IMDb credits her as Alice. 
I, I believe that was the name of the secretary in Greece, too. Well, there you go. So Pro- Probably the, uh, the nod there. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe a TA, perhaps, even. Right. I think at the very least, at the very least, she's a staff member. And all okay. she does is huh. say, you can't do that. So, and whether she was a staff member or whatever, at this point, Tori is in the office. They let right. her leave. So there is the first major failure. Second of all, Sam is in a class. There is a teacher in that classroom. Sam should not be allowed to walk out that door. Definitely not by herself. The teacher should have, at at the very least, if the other students get up and leave, the teacher stands up and says, you know, Ms. LaRusso, stay where you are. They're not, no teacher on this planet is letting that girl walk out that door with an active threat to her safety announced over the PA system. You, we hear Mr. Palmer say they don't get paid enough for this. There's a difference between teachers getting involved in fights and teachers protecting students from impending doom. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, so Tori confronts Sam, and this is where Robbie hears Tori say that Sam kissed Miguel. Yes. So I know I missed that the first couple of watches that, you know, it cuts to Robbie. I'm like, ah, there it is because he hears it because it comes up later on. Um, so now we're going to talk about, uh, you know, the big fight at school here and the way I have my notes set up is basically in pairings and, uh, we'll just kind of chime in what we have here. So, um, one thing I noted before the, the big brawl starts is that Robbie tries to stop it, uh, as Miguel shows up, but Robbie's the one who kicks one of the Cobras first. In Miguel's defense for what comes after. These kids have the worst timing on the face of the planet. 10 seconds earlier, Miguel runs just a little bit faster and he is there to see Robbie pulling Tori off Sam. So he knows that something has already transpired. There's so much going on in that hallway. By the time Miguel gets there, I can actually give him the benefit of the doubt that all he saw was Robbie with his hand on Tori and kicking, you know, goon number two behind Hawk's shoulder. And he doesn't hear Robbie trying to say, you know, everybody calm down. I'm sure we can figure this out. Which is, that is what Robbie is saying as all hell breaks loose. Right. Uh, so f- the first pairing I got, and we'll just bunch uh, you know all the notes together, is uh, Chris versus Mitch. Um, I noted that Chris says that he's basically not going to strike first, right? That's kind of what Daniel said. I'm not going to uh, throw the first punch. Yep. So uh, Mitch gets a good kick in uh, a little bit later on, and then Chris uh, hits him with the book. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris has, uh, Chris actually has an impressive kick to Mitch's back before that. Too. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. I, I missed that part. But yeah, uh, that is something that I spoke with Aiden about in uh, my interview with him. Oh, getting kicked in the back? Uh, yes. He did not remember if that was him or his stunt double, uh, the, the kick to the back. Um, he doesn't remember? Well, I think maybe what he didn't remember was uh, like him hitting the floor or hitting the locker. Oh, okay, okay. Like that. Okay. It had been it had been some time, you know, since they had filmed that. So he, you know, uh, his memory was a little weary, I guess. Right, and they did so many switches during this this whole thing that yeah. it's absolutely understandable. Mm-hmm. 
you have any other notes for these two? Um, for Chris and Mitch, the only note that I wrote down is um, Chris smacks him in the face with a math book. And I wish it had been a physics book. Because of Dimitri's crack a few episodes earlier that if Chris had paid attention in physics, then he would have known about a fulcrum. So I thought that that would have been a nice bookend to it to have, uh, well, here's bookend. your physics. Um, uh, and yeah. yeah, he knows physics. Well, I mean, uh, perhaps, you know, this is also like uh, Nathaniel's I-, I Love Math Humor. So you got mathematic books? Right. Yeah. I was I was, I was, was thinking that too. That ah. it, here's your math humor. Um, the next pairing, uh, speaking of Nathaniel uh, versus Bert, I have... Uh, them exchanging insults uh, with Bert calling him, uh, Nathaniel a nerd. Nathaniel uh, tells him, I'm forgetting the exact wording, but he calls him a dickhead. Yes. Yeah, that Nathaniel is very vulgar. They both are. It, are they? Is Bert? I don't know if Bert really drops. Well, he doesn't. He, he doesn't drop the dickhead, but I think when they're rolling around, they're both kind of. Um, they're so cute. That is completely the wrong reaction to have <laughs> to these two children beating the crap out of each other in the hallway. But they're so adorable. And, and the fact that we both met them personally, too, I think, you know, makes it a little bit comical, too. Right. Because they are so sweet and they are such good friends. And they really are. They're just they're just pounding the crap out of each other. Um, I love it when Bert kicks Nathaniel in the face, uh, knocks off his glasses and he's like, oh, now you've really done it or something. So I'm thinking, really? That was the last straw, huh, Nathaniel? <laughs> a little kick to the face? <laughs> never, never, ever, ever break a nerd's glasses. I've had, well, I've, I've had my glasses slapped off of my face. I mean, and I'm not going to tell the story why that happened. <laughs> I got mine broken with a soccer ball once. That hurt like hell. That, that kind of makes sense, but you're like, wait a minute, if you're wearing glasses and it got slapped off your face, what happened before that? I'm not going to get into it. You're a dude, so... I was 16. Oh, oh you were... A, okay, you were a teenage boy, so you don't need to explain. Oh, I haven't been slapped since I was a teenager. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, anything else between these two? Um. The way they end. Yeah, they get carried off. Uh, still fighting. Still fighting. That. Um, and a lot of aggression, those two, huh? The one security guard that the school appears to have shows up, yes. and who does he break up? The two tiny ones who can't, who can barely hurt each other, let alone anyone else. Something about these faculty members here, they uh, they just do the minimum, don't they? Uh, yes, all right. Uh, next, next thing I got here is uh, Moon walks in, uh, tries to stop the fight, and just asks, if, you know, why can't they all just get along? I know that that has become a meme, um, but... Moon specifically or the quote? No, the, the quote. Um, That's been all around pop culture. I know. I, I remember what it started as, which, yeah, you know, it, because I was, you know, 19, 20 years old when that happened. Um, so I... I it, it's like... Part of me wants to laugh at it because I know it's funny because it is a pop culture reference. Right. But then this other part of me that remembers how intense and how serious the situation that spawned that quote was. It it's 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 not like it's 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 not me pushing back against the writing or the line. It's me pushing back against society where that line became funny. 
Yeah, I um, I don't think I didn't take it funny. Um, I think that this generation they know that, but don't know the origin of that line. Right. You know, they they just know that is something that is said, and so it, it's just one of those things. Um, kind of like uh, what was it? There was uh, I don't want to reveal the quote because I'll feel like an idiot, but there was a quote that I would use. And for the longest time, I didn't know what it was until I watched this one movie like eight years after it had came out. I'm like, okay, I feel like an idiot now because um, I thought that it was from a song lyric, you know. Um, I kind of have the same reaction to people using Stay Gold, ironically. Mm, yeah. So it, it, this is, you know, a a desperate child's dying words. They're not funny. Right. Yeah. Different so, thing. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I can understand that. I, I don't. I don't think it was meant to be used funny. It, um, ironically, you know, like I, I really think Moon does not know where that line came from. Oh no, and she is absolutely one hundred percent sincere in her desire for this to happen. Absolutely, yeah. And she's not trying to be funny at all. So no. I, I, I would hope that nobody, you know, I'm sure people thought it, you know, found it comical, but I don't think that was the idea. But that's just me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the next one I got. Uh, We'll make it really brief, okay? Stingray adds a little levity. You want to move on? <laughs> Stingray adds a little assault on a minor and seven years in a federal prison. Maybe not federal. It'd be state charges, but it's definitely a felony. Do you think he would end up at Lompoc? Ooh, that would be interesting. Wouldn't it? And then everyone can get their Dutch in the next season? <laughs> Ugh. I mean, you knew that eventually he was going to put his hands on children because he's in karate class with children. He has no problem doing it. He is assaulting children on school property, and he is not even an official employee of the school. He has no business being there. That is a crime, and the man needs to be arrested. I think that Principal Lopez has not said no, so he's taking this as a yes because he's like, I got it. You know, and proceeds to security guard. <laughs> Which really doesn't change the fact that he assaults four children in that hallway. I mean, he... all right, Dimitri gets Mr. Palmer, who says, screw this, after watching Mr. Lopez, Principal Lopez, getting thrown. Is that the principal? That's who I thought it was? Am I wrong on that? I don't know. If it is, I didn't notice. I thought it was just some rando teacher that decided to do the right thing and... Try to break up this massive, massive brawl. Um, they at both wear glasses, and they both appear Latinx. Well, I guess Latino. I guess I could I could use that because it's a male, right? But um, I just that's who I thought it was because I was trying to figure out like where did this teacher come from? If Principal Lopez walked out of the office with Stingray. And then where would the principal have gone? You know what I mean? So that's why I thought it was him. Well, he came, this teacher came from the opposite direction. Um, let me see if I can find him here scrolling through. Um, okay. Uh, no, this guy looks like Drew Carey. Oh, the one that gets thrown. You sure that's not like his stunt double maybe? Um, well, he's wearing a shirt and a black tie and he looks like skinny Drew Carey. Okay, because um, uh, Principal Lopez is actually wearing a jacket, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think he's wearing a blazer. Um, all right, so, you know, we questioned it when we did the breakdown of the uh, official season two trailer. Uh, we wondered where 
the teachers were. We we get a glimpse of Mr. Palmer, who's like, oh, I'm not here for this shit, and, and exits. I have heard since then that in certain schools, certain teachers, like union rules, prohibit them from getting involved in altercations because of liability issues, the whole putting your hands on students thing, which, I mean, the principal stands there and watch Raymond pound the crap out of four of his students, but... I don't know that this is necessarily going to be a school that's going to prohibit the adults from restraining the children. I I, I really don't know the environment of the school. I don't know how it, I mean, we've been here multiple times, but this seems to be the kind of school that leans more toward the hands-off approach anyway. Yeah. Um, Other than Raymond, who apparently can do whatever the hell he wants. But anyway, um, I really, I really don't like this. <laughs> um, it, I have heard that, you know, the union rules in some schools prohibit the teachers from getting involved. And mm-hmm. if that's true, then, you know, okay, I'll, I'll give them that. If this is something that they would be fired or they would be arrested, if they tried to break up this fight, then I will give them that. Yeah. But none of them are even there. This is a this is a school in one of the largest cities in the country. They have more than four teachers, I'm assuming. You know, it, it's just none of them are even there. It's like they aren't even aware it's happening. They're busy. They're getting the curriculum ready for the next class. I get it. And they all sat yeah. there and listened to someone threaten one of their students, and none of them did anything to prevent it. I mean, the mention of Greece would probably make me bust out the uh, Apple Music and listen to the soundtrack. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Actually, I think it's, if if anything, I can see it being a commentary on perhaps how much teachers' hands are tied in certain situations. And I mean, if if they're going that way with it, then I will absolutely, which we'll find out hopefully next year. Um, if that's the way they're going with it, then... I think I'm going to like it. I think I'll, I'll end up looking back on this scene and not hating the teachers as much as I do right now. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, so now we get a little game of uh, hide and seek with Dimitri and Hawk. Oh, you know what we didn't do? We didn't. Hmm. We didn't talk about that shot, Peter. The wonder. There we go. One thing that absolutely has to be mentioned is the wonder. Um, which is the most impressive one minute and 18 seconds I have ever seen on my television. Very well choreographed. Um, the, the, the staging of it, the, the beats they have to create in order to uh, alternate between, you know, Janelle and Tori, Noah and Miguel. Um, I think it was very well crafted for sure. And I'm not just blowing up smoke. I think they did a great job. Right. When I, when I was watching it through the first time, you know, because I was so swept up in the story because, you know, I wasn't as focused on the minutiae as I get. Um, as, you know, with later viewings, you can focus in more on the little tiny details. And what my brain was processing was how many times the kids' faces were in front of me while this was going on. Yeah. So I didn't even notice Janelle swapping in for Peyton. Because to me, it was just Tori. Because then they turn the camera around and Peyton's standing there. So it's it starts with Moon, with the can't we all just get along, and it ends with Raymond 
butt bumping the Miyagi Do student who um, I, I don't know his name, but he he stunt doubles Ralph, um, and that's that's the, the the two ends of it. And this camera is flipping and spinning and sliding, and children are flying into things and sliding across floors, and it, it is Sam. And this has to be Mary who does it because you can see Sam's face the entire time does this like roll with Janelle. And then by the time she stands up, Peyton's standing in front of her and it's just, ah, how they did not win an Emmy for this minute and 18 seconds alone is only proof that Emmy voters do not know quality when they're looking at it. Yeah. I I think um, obviously who did the camera work had some experience. Um, it it kind of reminds me of you, you've seen Forrest Gump, right? Yes. There's the uh, one shot where Forrest is running straight into the camera and then it pans. Um, and I remember watching this behind the scenes that when when they're doing that swooping shot with the camera movement. Uh, Tom Hanks actually runs out of frame and then they actually catch the back of somebody else that's uh, already started running. And that little single shot was to make it look like to make it appear that he can run really fast. You know, when he hits that corner, Tom Hanks runs off and then it's somebody else that has already gotten a head start from him. Right. So that he's further down the road than Tom could have gotten. Correct. Yes. So that's kind of what they did here. And, you know, I did see, like, the side of Noah's face and, and Janelle at one point. And then I think we're talking about, like, the same moments, like, where you see uh, Tori stand up and it's Peyton. Yes. Yeah, and and for the kids to be swapping in and out behind the camera that's yeah. spinning and flipping all down this hallway. and It's a hallway, too. Right. Like, can you imagine how how little room they have to to work with and maneuver around everything? Right. This thing's, you know, 10, 12 feet wide tops. And they've got an entire camera rig on wheels going up and down it. And not only that, John and Hayden are filming. So I don't know if they're on, you know, uh, if they're separated at the time doing separate things. Or is like Hayden sitting on John's shoulders, right? Because he's popped on, <laughs> right? You know, he might be. There's, there's not a lot of room. There's there's not a lot of there's room. There's not a lot of room. And then you're gonna need chairs for, uh, you know, um, Joe and Luan, you know, who are the writers. So they they probably have to be sitting somewhere and making sure everyone's reading the scripts correctly. I I don't know, right? I mean, these are just names. I'm just saying things, but uh, I I would imagine. And you know what? We may get this in. Uh, you know, next month in, on the DVDs, but I can't even imagine the chaos it might have been, you know, to get this down. And then to look so smooth, you yes. know, and... So credit to the editing, too. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, there, there's zero editing. There's zero editing on this thing. That's the that's the thing that's... that's the, and, and the Karate Kid is, you know, kind of known for these long, impressive shots, because Daniel comes out, you know, we've got we've got one camera. When Daniel comes out of the locker room, Allie puts his belt on. They have the discussion with the referee. Mr. Miyagi pretends he can't speak English. Then they start walking out to the mat, and then the Cobra Kai's run by, and then the camera yeah. pulls yeah. up and shows, you know, the whole of the All Valley Arena as Daniel is going over to his first match. And that's that shot is probably about a minute 15, give or take. So it's about the same amount of time. 
But all that's going on, right, all that's going on in that one is Daniel walking. These kids are doing a whole heck of a lot more than walking. Yeah. And it's it just blows my mind. Hito and Janelle, absolutely in my mind, are Emmy winners as they should be two years running. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, let's see here. The next. Well, we so we didn't finish up the hide and seek game. No, we did not. This is Hawks. Here's Johnny moment. I call it He's Jason in in my head. This is this is his axe through the door. In The Shining, this is his Jack Nicholson. And I, I feel anytime Dimitri feels very threatened, he runs off and goes, shit, shit, shit. <laughs> <laughs> this is an appropriate response to having someone who looks like Hawk does at this particular moment chasing you. Well, he also said not again. So, you know, he's harking back to the mall. Uh, but his reaction is very much how he ran out of the Cobra Kai dojo after being assaulted by Kreese. Right. It, it's It's character consistency, which is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and this is where it. we get confirmation also of the fact that Hawk does have the magical teleporting powers that were kind of hinted at before the fight started. Uh, yeah, in the uh, the Coyote Creek. Well, not just the Coyote Creek, but um, if you remember, Miguel and Hawk started out sitting next to each other in the same room. Oh, right. But Hawk somehow magically got to the hallway with Sam and Tori about a minute and a half before Miguel did. Well, see, now I think we figured it out. You mentioned had Miguel been there 10 seconds earlier, he got distracted on the way to the fight. He had to pee. He had to pee. I mean, you got to go before you go, right? right? I mean, maybe he knew. He's, look, Tori announced that she was coming for Sam. He knew something was going to happen, so he had to make a pee stop. It happens. Exactly. Exactly. And now we see him walking down the hallway well to the left of Dimitri. And Dimitri is watching him go. And when he thinks Hawk is far enough away, down this hallway, way to his left, he stands up, turns around, Hawk standing behind him in front of a closed door in a dark room. Mm Mm-hmm. Hawk is magic. Well, I mean, one could uh, argue that maybe somebody uh, oiled up the the hinges on the door hinges. The, the, right? Yeah, the, yeah, those are hinges. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Maybe somebody oiled them really good, and you didn't hear him open. And was it completely closed though? I don't think the door was completely closed. I think he had walked in, and the door was still like cracked. Like closing behind him, maybe. Yes. Um. Let's look and see. Oh, that's Dimitri running. Can it, will it not let me? It won't let me stop there unless I p- play it. It won't let me just go to it. That's crap. Why are you doing it's that, fine. YouTube? Anyway, um, it's also possible, you know, maybe Eli was the bullied kid, right? Maybe he's dug escape right. tunnels between all of these places. And he's the only one who knows where they are. He has trapdoors in every room. I. That's very plausible. There we go. Um. Dimitri kicks Hawk into a display case. Now, I know there's a lot of people who call bullshit, um, especially with Hawk having more experience, was in the tournament, blah, blah, blah. But you know what? That's that's the thing about sparring, right? It, it doesn't really matter. Experience is obviously uh, an advantage, but you catch somebody in that split second at the right moment, you can have the upper hand. 
That's all it takes. Right. Plus, Hawk is overly emotional, overly confident in his abilities. Doesn't think Dimitri, you know, can stand up for himself. I mean, they, they just saw each other two nights ago. Right. Where Dimitri did nothing after having alcohol poured over his head. Right. So he doesn't think he's going to be able to defend himself against him. He doesn't see him as a threat at all. And what he does not in a million years imagine is going to happen is that Dimitri is going to have his whoa moment standing there in front of him. You know, just yeah. Daniel had it with Mr. Miyagi in the backyard. Robbie had it with Daniel in the dojo. Dimitri has it, and you can see it on his face the second he does sand the floor, and it works. Mm-hmm. He's like, holy crap, I can do this. And he does. Maybe his technique is not the cleanest, but from that moment on, he believes in himself. Yeah. So, yeah, it's crazy that Hawk chases him, but I'm sure he's still very bitter from the party. Yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah. Um, all right, the next pairing I have is Sam versus Tori. Uh, at one point, Sam says, and this is jumping way ahead, but they have been fighting the entire time. There's really nothing other than that. Uh, she says, you know, basically, this is the only way you know how to fight is fighting dirty, to which Tori says, well, this isn't a tournament. There are no rules. Right. And what this says to me, first of all, is that, you know, Kreese's influence obviously very evident in Tori at this point because that is, you know, words that could have come straight from his mouth and did come straight from Miguel's. So obviously, you know, they, they got them in the same place. Um, but what this also says is that Sam is clearly the better fighter of the two. And Tori knows she can't win unless she does fight dirty. Yeah, I mean, we don't know how long Tori has been fighting. I mean, she took some kickboxing classes. Sam has known karate since she was a little girl. Right, probably since she could, you know, was tall enough to, you know, strong enough to walk. Daniel starts teaching her how to do this, so. Absolutely. Mr. Miyagi was around, so he probably gave him some tips. Yes, I would imagine so. Uh, And, you know, one of the uh, scariest delivered... Uh, deliveries of No Mercy is uh, an out-of-breath Tori, you know, saying it to Sam as she holds up her fist with the, uh, her uh, her bracelet with these spikes. She fully intends to kill Sam at that point. I don't doubt that for a second. That is not... Injured pretty badly, absolutely. Yeah, that, that that's metal spikes going straight into her temple. That is not, I'm just going to hurt her. That is, I am going to literally kill this person. And uh, Tori gets kicked over the railing. And stays down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now the last pairing is uh, Miguel versus Robbie. Um, at one point while they're fighting, Robbie says that's for taking advantage of Sam. So it's funny that, you know, he what, what he had just heard out of Tori's mouth, he takes that as, well, Sam couldn't have, you know... It, she hadn't yet apologized, right? So that's that's what is going through Robbie's head is that this is on Miguel. Right. Plus, also think of it coming again from the child of an alcoholic who has been watching people take advantage of his drunk mother his whole life. He knows Sam right. was drunk. And that's, right. that's immediately where his mind goes. She was drunk. He wasn't. He was the one taking advantage. 
And then at one point, Miguel tells uh, Robbie that she doesn't love him, that she loves me. He says that. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And um, he also needles him about the headbutt because when Robbie's got him up or yeah. when, when Robbie's got him up against the pillar, he said, you can't cheat your way out of this one, basically saying you're going to have to actually fight me. And right. what this fight proves, once again, is what we have all known all along. Miguel wouldn't necessarily have won the tournament if Robbie is at full strength. These two are about as equal as you could possibly get. They are Johnny and Daniel in every sense of the word at this point, mm -hmm. pretty basically. They are dead even. And Miguel's yeah. response to that is to headbutt him and say, well, you like that move? I learned it from your dad. They're constantly going at each other, trying to hurt as much with words as with fists. Also, Johnny and Daniel. Uh, two teenage boys fighting over a girl. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? And their, and their <laughs> father figure. Oh, so yeah. there's some sibling rivalry going on, too. It gets even better. Mm. Uh, so at this point, um, Robbie is down on the ground, Miguel on top, and he recollects some of the things that Johnny has told him and shows Robbie mercy, uh, basically choosing honor. Uh, something to to note right before this happens, right before Miguel does get you know the upper hand and, and get Robbie down on the ground, Miguel almost kicks Robbie over the rail, comes very, very close to it. Um, I, I guess I, I forgot to mention that Tori, uh, I don't want to say accidentally, but I mean, she's, you know, in the heat of, of the moment there, she's fighting against Sam, but Miguel tries to stop Tori to which she kicks him. And obviously the look on her face is that she did mean it. Right. And then when Robbie gets away from the boys at the bottom of the stairs, he comes up and he's screaming for Sam and he's trying to break them up. And Miguel trips him. It's like on their own, the boys want to break the girls up because they they know this shouldn't be happening. But then you put them face to face with each other and they can't get over their own shit long enough to remember what they're supposed to be focused on, which is breaking the girls up. Yeah. And I'll mention this now before I forget, because I actually didn't write this down. But um, Aisha, she was actually trying to stop the fight as well. But then, you know. Uh, gets into it herself. Yes. So uh, back to Miguel and Robbie. Yes. Um, these two, when when they're up at the top and Miguel has his back against the wall, uh, Robbie comes up for a kick. Miguel catches his foot. Robbie spins around, kicks him with the other foot, which was impressive as crap. And then they kind of shift position a little bit and Miguel comes up with a back kick and Robbie flies into the railing. Mm -hmm. and he kind of falls down as he does it, so it, like, hits him right at the shoulders so he doesn't go over. Right. But it's the exact same move. Yeah. That becomes relevant. Um, when Robbie is on the ground, he has no idea what's going through Miguel's mind. He's in the heat of a fight. He's fighting for his life as far as he knows at this point. There is no way... I, I believe this wholeheartedly and have the entire time from the first time I saw it. There is no way that he heard Miguel say, I'm sorry. And there is no way that he knew Miguel was done. Yeah, well, all of that. And I don't think his intent was to kick Miguel over that railing either. No, absolutely not. No more than Miguel's intent was to kick Robbie over the railing 45 seconds earlier. It's just that's where they are. Right. Right. 
Uh, speaking of where they are, this is Robbie's first day at school. Who knows if he even remembered he was on the second floor? Right. By this point, they're so in the heat of battle with each other. I don't know that either of them knew where they were. You, you got tunnel vision at this point. You're not looking around you. You're focusing on your opponent. Yes. So um, I hate to say this, but I like this shot. You know, it's slow-mo. You got Tori, you know, yelling out. Does she yell out, Miguel, or no? Where it kind of like echoes and fades. You know what's going to be what I'm going to I'm going to say here? What's horrible? I can't remember if it's Tori or Sam. It's it's definitely Tori, but I forget if she says Miguel or no, uh, because it's a it's a oh she it, yells it his name and fades she yells his okay, name so it's Miguel yeah okay so he goes over she says Miguel it fades echoes and it's completely silent and Miguel hits his back on the railing breaks his back falls on the stairs I have seen him hit once. And that was the first time It's it was because I didn't know it was coming and I had my eyes open. And I have closed my eyes as soon as Robbie, as soon as Robbie throws that foot up, I close my eyes. Right. Every other time I've watched it, every 40 sometimes I've watched it. The four times watching it getting ready for this, I was like, I've got to watch it. I've got to be able to say something about it. And I can watch him fall now. But as soon as it shifts to behind him, my eyes close automatically. I cannot make them stay open. I yeah, can't do it. It's rough. Um, Hawk and Sam. Well, before this, um, you know, Sam looks over to Robbie and she's like, Robbie, what, what did you do? And he runs off probably to join a forest or something. Um, anyway, Hawk and Sam are the first to go check in on Robbie. Um, I mean, check in on Miguel on the stairs. And what we have here actually to my mind what what this reminds me of and I had said something um about it to you when we were in the school um when you were posing and I had your head pointed the wrong direction. Um Miguel's posture on the stairs, he's got his right arm straight out, his left arm is out but down, so he's like a modified Christ figure on the stairs complete with his Mary Magdalene and St. John the Baptist next to him. It's whether they intended it that way or not. I, you know, grew up Catholic. I grew up staring at the statuary of that pose my entire life. So that was the automatically the first thing that pops into my mind only instead of at his feet there at his head. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the scene's so somber. Like, I, I'm just glad that none of the characters tried to go adjust him or move him or something. Like, no, he, he just fell. Like, leave him. You're not a professional. You might make it worse. Right. Know? Well, the police officer does come up and check his pulse. And he does shove uh, Hawk away. Hawk out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then we cut to, uh, Daniel, uh, in the room where Robbie was staying at his house and he sees a book called History of Okinawa. Yes. Which this is not Daniel's book. Right. Um, I have said before that it was because I just assumed that it was. It was highly irresponsible of me. I apologize for my slacking, sir. Um, are you talking to me? Well, yeah, because I've said it on <laughs> I've said it on your show, and it was an incorrect. It was an it was an alternative fact. 
You know, I bet you most people probably thought it was too. But yeah, a completely different cover. Completely different book. Um, I don't think Robbie's is real. Um, I actually was looking for it because I wanted to buy it. <laughs> um, uh, Raptor and I were were talking on Twitter about the book. And I was, was trying to find a copy of it to buy and I couldn't find one. And also on this bed is another, it looks like it says, I don't know, it, the, the the first word ends in A-G-E, but I can't see if it's rage or age or, you know, something like that. Of the courage, four, of maybe. the courage of the 442nd. There we go. Courage would absolutely Ooh. fit. Of the 442nd. So not only is he studying Mr. Miyagi's homeland, he is studying Mr. Miyagi's life. Yeah, I think, you know, because it's Miyagi-Do, he obviously wants to learn the roots of Miyagi-Do. You know, I, I think that's safe to assume right and it was at that moment that daniel knew he done fucked up yeah oh yeah and at that moment uh is when amanda comes running in saying that she uh got a call from the high school and i can appreciate the 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 choice in words because it was very deliberate it's not just from school they have two kids anthony probably goes to middle school yes so saying that, you know, got a call from high school immediately, that says Sam. Yes. Um, and Johnny, is is he cooking? No, he's hanging the television. That's right. He's hanging the television up. And um, at this point, he it's 1023. Uh, he gets a something, some sort of notification on his phone about importing his contacts. Um, but this is when he hears um, Carmen screaming. Uh, from her apartment yes and, and the scene ends there so this is just a matter i don't know probably within the hour hour and a half maybe you know it's 10 23 in the morning so i would say that carmen was the first person that the school called because they would absolutely need her at the hospital to give medical authorization okay so you think that maybe they're, they're, we were shown out of sequence no no i think it was in sequence um, I just don't think that much time had passed. I think that more time actually passed with the kids in their first class. Otherwise, oh. the kids' first class was, you know, a minute and a half long. Um, I think that the fight probably didn't start until around 930. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, if, if they're getting a hold of Carmen a little after 10, um, whether that would be the hospital calling her or the school calling her one way or the other, I think Carmen would absolutely have been the first parent notified of what had happened because she is the one that needs the most to be in a different place than she is because she needs to be where Miguel is. Right. Um, also, I, I appreciate the, the writing here because, well, yeah, Johnny hears uh, Carmen scream. So that's how he's going to get clued into what had happened at the school. At this point, Robbie took off. So so Johnny pretty much had no reason to be at the hospital except to give support to Carmen, who does not want to see him right now. The school wouldn't have called Johnny for Robbie anyway. They would have called Daniel and Amanda. That's a good point. But um, they would have done that. But Robbie's supposed to be staying with Johnny, too. So, I But the know. school doesn't know that. That happened on a Sunday morning. As far as they know, it, when they're calling to notify the LaRussos of what happened, they're calling to notify them of what happened to their children. They have no idea about Johnny. Yeah. Okay. So we cut to a uh, an x-ray of Miguel. And the doctor tells Carmen uh, the next 24 hours are critical. 
So I'm not sure if this is where Carmen works, but obviously the doctor knows that Carmen has experience in looking at x-rays. So I think we get a little bit uh, of an idea of what she does at the hospital there. Right. She's she's definitely an x-ray tech, um, and that is an x-ray of a fractured cervical vertebrae. Mm. Miguel has broken his neck. Yeah, um, which is pretty bad. So, uh, so Johnny is sorry. Um, you know, Yaya is there um, trying to calm Carmen down. Carmen is uh, blaming Johnny for all of this. You know, Miguel was a good kid before him, didn't get into fights. And she says that she never wants to see him again. And not to bring <clears throat> levity into a situation where it absolutely is not warranted, but that's going to be a little difficult with your next door neighbor. That's a good point. Um, did you get the sense that Yaya was trying to calm her down to not make a scene? Or did you think that maybe because Yaya liked Johnny that she was just trying to like, hey, you know, calm down, like. I, I don't yeah, think, right, I don't think it was about not making a scene. I think it was about just from the look on her face and the sound of her voice when she's talking to her, it's more a don't do this now, Carmen, than yeah. a don't do this. Um, you know, it, it because she knows how much these two like each other. And I think there's a part of her that even with everything that has happened is wanting Carmen to not throw the future she could have with Johnny away. Yeah, I, I think Yaya is um, very much upset with Johnny as well. Yes. Uh, I think, in my opinion, it's evident that when they they walk away, Yaya doesn't turn around. Just the way it's framed, it easily we, we easily could have seen Yaya turn around and look at Johnny I kind of half thought she him. would. Yeah, I kind of half thought she would. Yeah, so you kind of think that she would to kind of just reassure Johnny, like, hey, don't worry, it'll be all right. But the fact that Yaya does not turn around, she too is upset with Johnny. Right, and he absolutely, he and Daniel both own a part of this, even though they had absolutely nothing to do with it, and there's nothing either one of them could have done to stop it. Mm -hmm. uh, they both own a part of it because they transferred their rivalry to their chi their their children right uh we cut to sam getting stitches uh she definitely did not snitch on anybody but uh daniel assures her everything will be all right while amanda says she's gonna make sure tori gets expelled um but sam's more concerned about miguel and admits it's her fault she doesn't admit it's her fault she claims it's her fault she takes the blame for the entire thing even though once again she had nothing to do with what started it. That's true. This, this, every, and everybody gives her, you know, so much grief over it. And, oh, well, she's lying. She doesn't, you know, who knows what she told her parents about this, that, the other, whatever. Okay, Daniel and Amanda know exactly what happened at this point. Right. Because even if Sam didn't tell them, someone at the school would have, well, this girl said that, you know, Sam kissed her boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. Sam sitting here crying over Miguel. So obviously she will have will, would have told them, you know, what had happened. And she and Miguel still had feelings and all of this stuff. She doesn't admit that she's to blame. She takes the blame. Right. Which is a completely different thing. It is. She will admit that. She was wrong for kissing Miguel, but the fight did not start because of her. 
Right, but at the moment she feels like it's all her fault. Everything is her right. fault. She because yeah, she's probably going back to the kiss. Um, Tori's the one that instigated the fight at the school, which escalated. Um, you know, if if they were just all they're teenagers, but if they if somebody had just said, "Hey, let's let's just hold on and let's just talk this out," Sam has been apologizing the entire episode. Yes, and this is actually a very, uh, I'm going to say it's a personality trait that she got from her father, mm-hmm. uh, the the taking the blame for things that he could not possibly have prevented, because which, which is coming Daniel, up yeah, Daniel did that multiple times, especially at the end of the third movie. He thought the entire thing was his fault. No, you were brainwashed by two adults, and you had no idea it was going on. It was not your fault. Right. But he still takes the blame for it 34 years later. So then we get Johnny um, listening to the uh, voicemail Miguel left him a few episodes ago. And oh, that's not a few episodes ago. That's the phone call that Miguel made from the hallway. Oh, that's when that's that's when it hit the um, okay. the missed call at 8:32 yeah, yeah, yeah. a.m. That's yep. right. Okay. You you know what? I I thought it was the other time he called from a few episodes ago. I wondered. <laughs> anyway, I feel like an idiot. Um, all right. The thing that, the thing that breaks my heart the most list, you know, after having watched it a few times at the time, it was just, oh my God, he's got this voice mail from Miguel and, oh, he could have talked to him and, you know, maybe he could have delayed him or whatever. It, the heartbreaking thing is you think about Miguel and leaving that voicemail and, hey, mom's got to work tonight. So maybe I'll come over to the house and, hey, maybe we'll go out for burgers. Well, if Miguel goes over to Johnny's house, who's going to be there? Right. So Johnny was that close to getting both of his boys together mm-hmm. in a situation where he can control it and maybe they can work their shit out and they can realize that they're not all that different. He was so right. close. They were all so close yeah, to everything. I, I think that's one detail many don't even think about. Absolutely. Yeah, it it that's that's what kills me the most about that voicemail. And it's something that gets me about both Johnny and Daniel, their reactions, Johnny obviously crying fountain at the window, as I absolutely would be. Niagara Falls. Daniel, once again, tears in his eyes that never fall when he's talking to Sam. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say that this is it, but Sam is conscious and has stitches some ribs that he doesn't yet know that could be broken uh and then you got miguel in critical condition right but you also have daniel's daughter crying in front of him in pain you have his wife crying behind him yeah uh all of these things going on and he gets right to the verge of tears but never cries yeah uh, what was that thing that you were saying? Uh, the, the consistency of these characters, the character traits? That's just, that's Daniel. Yes, it is. And I still want to know why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Johnny's just looking at him through the door there and, and it's very heart, heartbreaking. Yes. So Johnny gets into the elevator and at the very last second, Daniel walks in too. And, um, I like this because this is a, a brief wonder i mean there's no cuts here i mean you you get the panning um shot there but there's no words no eye contact johnny looks up 
And it's rough. It's just rough. Um, this is the most profoundly painful and <laughs> sacred 35 seconds of silence in television history. Mm-hmm. It is so painful. And the look on both of their faces, um, they both want to say something, but neither one knows what to say, and neither one is really sure how the other one's going to react to it. Right. Uh. And I'm sitting there at the whole time going, say something. Say something, Daniel. Say something, Johnny. God damn it, open your mouth. Oh, fine, they're out of the elevator. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're just going down one floor. It, it didn't seem I, very long. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Now it's nighttime. Uh, Johnny uh, pulls up to the dojo. He's got a brown paper bag with a bottle in it. And he notices that the door's unlocked and hears voices in the back. Um, finds Crease and some of the Cobra's, Cobra's training. And we get the uh, class. We have a visitor. The meme that launched a thousand memes. Yeah, I'm out of that group now. Um, also, you know, obviously a an Easter egg or a callback or whatever to the first movie. Mm -hmm. And now Johnny has stepped into the role of traitor that has walked into my dojo. Mm -hmm. Um, And he walks into the soundtrack of the, the Kias with the, the jab punches and um, completely apropos of nothing. When I was a teenager, I always thought those kids in that line were yelling. I killed. Huh? Okay. And I, it, because that's what my ears heard it, it does the first that, time. Like that. Yeah, right. It, it's very close to it. And it's, it's really kind of terrifying that, you know, that's what that always triggers in my, in my brain. Cause that's what I heard the first time. So even though knowing that's not what it is, that's what I heard now. Right. Uh, yeah. Hawk is blaming Miguel's accident on Johnny. Um, you know, this is all his fault. Which he really should not be able to do. Because Hawk was at the bottom of the stairs when Miguel had his epiphany. So how does he know that Miguel let Robbie up? Well, he he saw the, the flashback. Oh, oh, but he, <laughs> it, magical teleporting powers. He can also read minds. I mean, Hawk has special abilities. There we go. Um, I guess it's possible that, you know, word had gotten around or whatever that Miguel had let him up. All, and then... all the kids are talking. Cameras were out. Um, it was the kids were on the top floors, on the bottom floors. Everybody saw everything. That's true. Yeah. Um, and, and again, with Snapchat and Instagram Live, Facebook Live, even. Right. Somebody saw something. Um, Kreese says that, uh, you know, Cobra Kai is his and uh, uh, brings up Armand uh, Zarkarian, the uh, landlord. Uh, it says that he doesn't like Johnny and basically gave him the dojo tell uh, reminds him about the handshake deal that he had and re- also reminds him that uh, they're not guaranteed and this point uh, this is the point at which I start looking back on Crease's scenes from earlier in the season and questioning if we really saw what we thought we saw at the time because if you'll remember when we did the, you know, Johnny following Crease back to the homeless shelter, the phone call in Johnny's office. Right. And we're all like, well, who's he talking to on the phone? Is he talking to Trey McGriff's character? Is he talking to the woman that runs the shelter? Is he talking to this person, that person? I think he was on the phone with Armand right then. 
What was the dialogue again? The who do you think you're dealing with? I will burn the place to the ground. Hmm. So that was uh, basically like, hey, you, you better give it to me. Right, which actually would mean that his plan to take control of Cobra Kai started long before uh, Tommy passed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it casts every single thing, like things weren't already in doubt with Crease to start with. This casts a huge shadow of doubt over everything he's done. From the moment he showed up, was this his plan all along? I think yes. I do too. Um, he says he continues that his students never lose, which, okay, uh, even if they learn the hard way, and says that uh, you'll thank me for this. And right. Johnny's, Johnny says that this is this was a mistake and gives up Cobra Kai to Crease. A couple of points about Crease's speech. Mm hmm. First of all, um, I know I had said a couple of episodes ago that I hoped that Johnny saying John Kreese founded Cobra Kai would put the nonsense about whether or not it was Kreese or Terry who did it to, to rest. Now we have heard the words from the man himself. I founded Cobra Kai. It belongs to me. Terry oh, okay. Silver owned the building. That was it. So please stop saying that Terry Silver founded Cobra Kai. He had nothing to do with it. Um... The it belongs to me and it always has and it always will. He's not just talking about the dojo or the style of karate that is taught there. He is also, I believe, very clearly telling his victim, I own you. I always have and I always will. Mm. Once a cobra is a cobra, right? Cobra kind of yes. dies. Yeah. He's saying Johnny belongs to him. Um, and the one day you'll thank me for this. I think that one day Johnny will thank Crease for this, but I think it's going to be for a completely different reason. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I, at this point, am very hopeful that one day Johnny Lawrence will thank John Crease for leading him to Daniel LaRusso. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We will have a prediction episode uh, as we get closer to season three. Absolutely. Yes! Yay! Yeah. Um, so we cut back to Daniel, uh, who had uh, picked up some something up for Sam to eat. Uh, she is out getting x-rays because she might have a cracked rib. Um, and Amanda tells him that this needs to stop. No more karate. It's over. So what's over? Daniel's entire life. Um, I love Amanda. I love Daniel and Amanda. They are my OTP. Absolutely. I, I, they have to be together. This marriage has to survive. And I know she loves him and I know he loves her. But in these few hours that have passed, it, while all this is going on, Daniel has lost almost everything and she just took the one thing that he felt defined who he is and told him he can't be that anymore mm. mm -hmm. so what does he have left um a picture of mr miyagi which he takes down right yeah 
Um, again, Amy said it best. Everything falls apart. Um, I mean, Daniel had... Daniel Larusso is karate. It's right. it's his entire life. It's all he's ever been good at, as far as he's concerned. It's the only thing that he feels gives him purpose, and now he doesn't have it. Just like Cobra Kai was that for Johnny, and now he doesn't have that. You know, and I'm not trying to compare myself to these two, but I've been podcasting for almost six years now, and I can't even imagine when my wife tells me to hang up the microphone. You know, like this is something I'm passionate about. I love talking about TV and movies, music. And and I have the, the same kind of thing. It happens on Tumblr quite often, you know, as the, the younger generations come into fandom and, you know, they kind of side-eye us older people. And I can remember being one of the youngest people in a fandom I was in, and now I am definitely one of the oldest in this one. Right. Um, I'm, I'm more on the upper end of the spectrum because I'm... I will admit it now, I am the grandma that had Ralph Macchio's picture hanging on her wall when I was a kid. Um, But when they they tell me I'm too old for this, this this is what I am. I'm a fangirl. This is all I've ever been. Don't take this away from me. This is is who I am. Yeah. It's devastating. You know, yeah, so I'm sure we all have that thing. That we can, you know, that would resonate, you know, with, with what's going on here. Right. No more karate. Um, Amanda's had it, you know, it, it, it's, it's in the, it's in the, she's not talking about Cobra Kai, which Daniel, that's, that's where his mind still is. This is all Cobra Kai's fault. It always has been for 34 years. And the, the horrible, terrible, painful irony is that this time he's freaking right. Mm-hmm. This one time. He's absolutely right. And this is the one time she refuses to hear it. Right. Uh, I want to do what Johnny does here. Okay, He's drinking himself away at the beach. Um, he's thinking about the happier times with Miguel. Um, and it. Uh, we also see the, the scene at the restaurant, you know, where he delivers the uh, I'll always have your best interest at heart. And at this point, I'm almost bawling just thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always, I, I'm a blubber ball baby by this point. Every time. Every time. The song doesn't help. No, it doesn't. Kari Kimmel's uh, rendition of Cruel Summer, it, it definitely doesn't help. This is, it's it's more than a montage. Um the way they do this song, I mean, it is a montage, obviously. Um, but this is a part that I feel like I can relate a little bit deeper to because I do make the music videos. So picking scenes to go with lyrics and expressing the story through the song and what's on the screen at the same time is something that I'm very familiar with. And uh, some of the some of the ways that they paired the scenes up with the lyrics in this one I thought were particularly uh, powerful. Um, the first "Now You're Gone" is on a fade to Mr. Miyagi's picture hanging on the, the wall. That's when Daniel takes it down, right? Right, and then Daniel takes it down. Um, and I tried my best. I thought I was doing the right thing. I'm sorry. 
mm-hmm. um, as he's saying that and turning away. The lyric as Daniel is walking away from the camera is my friends are away. And then it fades from him to Johnny and the lyric is I'm on my own. Mm-hmm. So they're, you know, pairing these scenes up of these two. Neither has anything left. Um, it, then it's the too hard to handle. I've got to get up and go. This is when Johnny sees Carmen in his mind and then he stands up and then he turns around. Um, on the, I've got like right after the, I've got to go, he turns around to walk off. Um, he throws the beer bottle at the car and it's, and and they're leaving me here on my own. The cruel summer as he throws his phone. Um, I assume he was meaning to throw it to the ocean. Didn't make it that far, made it to the sand. Uh, leaving me here on my own as he walks away from the car. And the final line that we hear of the song is the now you're gone, you're not the only one with Allie Mills Schwarber's name on the screen of right. his phone. Friend request. Um, when you mentioned the, uh, you know, he sees Carmen, the, the, um, the, the other dialogue here is Johnny says that, you know, Miguel's a good kid. He won't let him go astray. So you're focusing on the lyrics. I'm focusing on... Okay, so at this point, I feel Johnny is also getting up, and he's gonna try to write something, correct something, not not write down something, but he's gonna correct something because he he's remembering that he's not gonna let Miguel go astray. So I feel he's gonna try to go make it right with Carmen, so that way he can make it right with Miguel. I get a completely different impression from Johnny here. Okay, um, and it's mainly from the music. And, you know, from the expression on his face, the things that he does, the, the throwing a whiskey bottle in his, uh, the, the car that he loved so much and throwing the keys in and just walking away. Mm-hmm. Um, when he told Crease, you want Cobra Kai, it's yours. Right. Um, I don't think that Johnny Lawrence is Cobra Kai anymore from this point on. Whatever he is... It's something different. It's something uniquely his. Um, I think Cobra Kai is, is, is surrendered to Crease and those eight students that were there with him. And Johnny is going to go his own way and become something else. Daniel, of course, he can't do his karate anymore because Amanda has forbidden it. So he has to go do something else. And I think these two are, it, of course, they're going to bumble their way into each other at some point. Um, but I think this is Johnny walking away from his past. I know that, um, probably safe to say most people when they saw Allie's name on Johnny's phone, assume that's confirmation. She's going to be back next season. Okay. The second I saw Allie's name on the phone, I went, yes, he's walking away. I think that's him walking away from his entire past, and I think that includes her. I don't think it's a sign that she is coming back. I think it's a sign that she's not. Mm, I like that a lot. Um, What I took from this, and that's why I love doing what we do here, you know, dissecting and, and analyzing. The entire episode... Johnny keeps getting all these notifications. First, it's a phone update. Second, it's import your your um, 
your contacts. And then he gets a, a late uh, voicemail from, from Miguel. He's just about had it. And then his phone goes off again. He's, I'm fuck this at this moment. So he pulls that phone out and just tosses it. He doesn't care what the hell is on that screen at that phone, uh, at that, yeah, at that moment. No, he has, he doesn't care in the slightest what's on it. Yeah. And, uh, we get the end snake for the last time in season two. Well, one, one thing that, uh, one small thing, um, as far as bookending the episode, um, there is the same line basically that comes from two different characters, one at the beginning and one at the end. And that is the, this was a mistake. Um, after the fight in the apartment, we have Daniel screwing up royally and saying that taking Robbie in was a mistake. Trying to make Robbie part of his family was a mistake. And then at the end, we have Johnny opening Cobra Kai was a mistake. Trying to bring Crease in was a mistake. Um, so there's a parallel there between Daniel and Johnny. And there was a conversation that I had with a friend of mine, uh, Sarah, on Tumblr a few days ago and she was you know she was talking about the parallel between Daniel and Johnny here and I was like as much as I hate to admit it I think the actual parallels here are Johnny and Robbie (laughs) the reason this is taking me so long to say is because the words that are going to come out of my mouth are Daniel and Crease because Johnny and Robbie, at this point, have both lost their surrogate fathers. Mm -hmm. They have both lost everything that they love. They have both lost everything that they believe in. And they have been abandoned by the one person that they trusted to always love them and protect them. And Daniel and Kreese are the two people who did that to them. Yeah. And that hurts my soul. Yeah. To utter my baby's name in that same breath as that monster. (laughs) Same sentence. Yeah, not just the same vein, but in the same sentence and comparing the two. Comparing the two. I'm I'm done with it. I want them to fix it. I never, ever, ever want to see that parallel again. Yeah. Ever. TB3, Uh. hear my prayer. (laughs) Never do this to me again. Duly noted, I'm sure is what they're thinking right now. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm sure they consider my opinion when they write their show. Hey, we got one member of the Bree Hive there. Uh, yeah. so. <laughs> um, all right. So be- before we get into the uh, feedback proper, um, I wanted to go ahead and kind of bring up some news and some changes coming uh, uh, forth here at uh, Cobra Kai Companion. Um for those that I mean, you guys probably have noticed, Tom has, is not on this review. Uh, and basically, one morning, uh, I woke up and got a message from Tom saying that uh, he was stepping down uh, from the podcast. Uh, he wished me well, thanked me for taking him on the ride, and that uh, he wishes me luck and to take this podcast further. Um He's redirecting his focus on Jake and Tom Conquered the World. So if you, uh, you know, are gonna miss Tom, definitely go. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to his show, and you know he'll be putting out some content with him and Jake over there. Um, we're still friends. 
you know, we were definitely not ruling out the possibility of him and I collaborating together again. Uh, we, we're just not sure if it's going to be at Cobra Kai Companion. Uh, so with this change, you know, I, I feel something to look forward to is just more consistency. Um, you can, you know, count on me and Brianna uh, every episode, you know, unless it's an interview, which I will be conducting on my own going yes, forward. Yes, you will. Yeah. Um, so that's that's pr- pretty much it. So it, it is a big change. You know, we're going to miss Tom. Uh, he even stepped down as moderator. Uh, so he he is no longer uh, in our group either. So um, just I, I just wanted to throw it out there and just reassure that there was, you know, no beef or anything like that. Okay, I, I don't want anyone thinking that Tom and I, we were still communicating uh, after the fact too. So matter of fact, he he invited me on for a future episode on Jake and Tom Conquer the World. So everything is, is all gravy. It's just, uh, I think we are on different paths in our podcasting career right now. We love you, Tom. Yeah, we love you. I miss and you. You'll always have a seat uh, back here, obviously, you know. So um, so that, that's it. I wanted to say it now uh, before it's too late, just in case anybody uh, checks out um, during this episode. So now we will get into uh, the feedback, starting with our group. Uh, I'll go ahead and kick it off with um, the feedback from Ron Y., he says, if episode 5 was Brawl in the Mall, episode 10 is Brawl in the Hall. And what a brawl it was. And I think we agree. Uh, the title of the song is actually Hallway Hellscape, which I That's think ah, fits yes. perfectly. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm very certain that it was deliberate. Obviously, uh, Zach and Leo, you know, they... I don't know if they chose this song, uh, this particular song. They're the composers, uh, but we have spoken to the big three before, and uh, it could also be one of the writers, you know, that came up with it, or even the music uh, supervisor. I, I kind of forget some of the titles now, but um, a lot of the song choices, there's a lot of moving parts to it uh, to, to get the rights and, and what have you. Um, but Ron continues, also someone pointed out that they announced in this episode that the school musical would be Grease, uh, one of my favorites. So here's who I would cast if the Cobra Kai kids were in Grease. Um, and I guess this is all also assuming uh, that all, all the kids would be in these roles too, because I would imagine maybe some of them would be in the production. But he has Miguel as Danny, Hawk as Kinnicky. Is that uh, how you say the name? Yeah, it, yeah okay. it's Kinnicky. Kinnicky, okay. Uh, Brooks as Sonny, Bert as Duty, Dimitri as Eugene, Robbie as Teen Angel, Kyler as Vince Fontaine. Uh, for the women, Sam as Sandy, Tori as Rizzo, Moon as Frenchie, Aisha as Jan, and Yasmin as Patty Simcox. A few other parts available. What do you think? And I'm going to have to defer to you. Well, um... Robbie definitely has the hair to sing a song called Beauty School Dropout. So he could definitely be the teen angel. I don't really see Kyler as Vince Fontaine. That would be actually Raymond. Because Vince Fontaine is the creepy older guy who's hitting on the high school girls. So I would have to put Raymond as Vince Fontaine. 
Uh, Sam is Sandy. Miguel is Danny. Yes, absolutely. Tori and Hawk as Rizzo and Kaniki. Um, Kaniki has a line that he gives that he delivers to Rizzo, and he says something like, "A, a hickey from Kaniki is like, um, oh, I forget what, it, but it's like a really good thing. I forget the exact line." Um, I could actually see Hawk and Tori together. I think they'd be very good together. Frenchie is the idealist. Um, Jan and Aisha, yeah. Patty Simcox, the goody two shoes. <laughs> and Yasmin. Um, nope, not seeing it. Dimitri is the perfect Eugene. Um, but Bert as duty. Bert as duty, yeah, because he was the little one. Um, oh, okay. And and Brooks just kind of you know in there as Sonny because there's really nowhere else, no one else for him to be. Um, I don't know who would be Patty Simcox actually because we don't really have any goody two shoes types. Um, you, you can put Moon in that role and somebody else as Frenchie, maybe Yasmin. Now Frenchie is Frenchie is too much of an idealist and too much of a dreamer. There's no way Yasmin would ever. Frenchie is very much a follow your heart, follow your dreams kind of person. So that's definitely Moon. Um, oh, then again, what, what about this? Um, he did not mention Piper. Oh, I don't think we know enough about her. She would definitely be a pink lady. Um, I don't know just what that means. Because, okay, <laughs> the T-Birds the, the are the guy gang and the pink ladies are the girl gang who also happen to be the T-Birds girlfriends. With the okay. exception of Danny, who is the like head of the T-Birds, and Sandy, his girlfriend, um, who ends up being the leather-clad badass by the end. But she's the, the hoop skirts um, Sandra D, um, which definitely fits with Sam. Um, these these most of them work. Like I said, most of them definitely work. But then there's this other part of me that just wants to say yeah but daniel could still pull danny off he looks young enough <laughs> to be travolta at 30 playing a 17 year old absolutely yeah but then that that would of course make uh johnny kanicki who is danny's best friend mm, interesting i like so this he, this is really yeah, good pretty good huh okay all right, I, I'm going to have to take your word for it. All right, and next is Jen, um, and she says, do you want me to cry again? And there are so many crying emojis in this comment. Um, I watched it again the other day after avoiding it for a bit. Ugh, it killed me again, just like the first time. Yeah, it's, It doesn't it's get any it's easier. You, you know what? I'm not going to lie. I mean, it, it's it's been, by the time this come out, it's probably going to be have been at least two weeks since uh, we did Popo. It. I, again, I, I've watched this. Um, what did I say, like four or five times. It, mm-hmm. This is hard. Th- this is this was not an easy episode to do. You get up in the dozens, and it's still hard. Like I, I still can't watch it. I still can't force my eyes to stay open. I don't. I don't know. Uh, at, at what point do you get numb? You know, to to the emotional um, weight of this episode. You know. I, I don't know that I ever will. There are certain scenes in shows that have had this effect on me before that has faded. Um, Daniel Jackson's death on Stargate SG-1. I would always fast forward through that scene. And now I can watch it and not even cry. 
right? I don't think that's ever going to happen with Miguel's fall. I really don't. Uh, the next one comes from Amy S. It's a gut punch, all of it, literally and figuratively. There's a lot of obvious moments that just completely destroyed me, and everybody knows how I feel about Johnny, so there's probably no point in rehashing the majority, but the one moment that really gets me in the worst way is the car conversation with Robbie. It's just so sweet and sad, and he screens Miguel's call, and he tried so hard with the school supplies, and it just all breaks my heart. Wait, how does Amy feel about Johnny again? Remind me. I think she likes him. I think. Is that a thing? Does, I, I, does I, Amy I, like Johnny? I, I think so, Or yeah. Billy. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> Levity, yeah. we got him. There we go. Um, and next is Kiara. Uh, one of the best fight scenes ever seen. For the finale, I did not cry because I had completely dried up for Tommy. Oh, and that was a few episodes ago, too. Yeah. Well, you have to remember, though, in real time, those five episodes were two and a half hours. So right. it's like from the beginning of a movie to the end. So like an hour and a half ago. Yeah. Well, maybe not even quite that. Um, next one comes from Rick. Months after I first watched this episode, I am still digesting it. Still wrapping my head around it. I make a lot of dark comedy type memes about this specific episode, but I do it out of love and I do it as a defense mechanism because I still don't know how to process this episode. It is so well done that emotions are still all over the place months after I saw it. I'll leave it at that. Now bring on season three. I, I, I disagree with nothing that he just said. Yeah, I see no lies here is something I like to say. Yep. Uh, next is Kevin. When watching that school fight the first time, all I could think was what the fuck? Because the tone of the fight scene felt like a crossroads between fight scenes from the Power Rangers, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon, WWF, and the Street Fighter 2 video game. But I definitely know someone was going to get seriously hurt. I agree with you, Bree. Fire the teachers and arrest Raymond. Oh, what? Is he from the future, too? <laughs> <laughs> um, I've maybe not been very shy about the fact that this is... Things that I think should be logical consequences of this. Um, when was the first time I said Raymond should be arrested? I think um, like two hours after. Yeah. Uh, um, didn't probably. take me very long. Yeah. I, it it didn't, did not take me very long to it, form that you opinion. You know, um, Kevin here, he, he does uh, bring up Power Rangers. I mean, Hito did do, you know, do stunt work on Power Rangers for a number of years. He so, did. Um, I did not yeah. know that. Yeah. So that that may have played a part. I'm not exactly sure, but I mean, Joe A. Uh, just uh, you know, next comment here kind of adds to it. The high school fight scene is very unrealistic. Um, sure, I mean, it's it's a it's a TV show based on the movies about karate. So we we were gonna get karate at some point, and the season one finale we had the tournament. So you got to go bigger, right? With the sequels, that's that's the formula it's a tv show based on a movie that had a had as its central plot point a 95 pound weakling becomes a black belt in six weeks yeah um yeah. there's very little that's realistic about this franchise we don't really care yeah that's not the point um 
And I'm I'm with Kevin. I mean, my jaw was on the floor the entire time. And every time that camera would turn, it would fall even further. It was just like, oh, my God, how is this happening? Realistic or not, it's pretty damn amazing. It sucks you in. It draws you in. It rips your heart out when it's done. That's good television. It doesn't have to be realistic. Mm -hmm. I need to listen to myself more often because I need to... (laughs) I need to remember <laughs> that. Um, next comment is from D. And uh, and real real quick here, uh, D. Um, this person joined our group after finding your video of uh, in defense of John Kreese. Oh yeah, yeah. This is the person. Yeah, they they uh, they mentioned that they you know saw the video and that's that's when they joined the group. Okay, I do I do remember that. Yeah, um, yeah. Five words I never thought I'd say. Which has we'll, been eclipsed by some other words I never thought I would say and I never want yeah. to say again. So we'll, we'll comment uh, when we wrap up. Right. Um, so D says chaos. The whole thing was chaos in every way. Cobra Kai struck first both in this fight and in the mall without provocation. I don't, But I don't feel that was Johnny's fault. He was trying to keep these kids from being bullied. That was his reason for opening the dojo back up. Everything else from emotional immaturity increases influence. Hawk became a bully. Tori was already screwed up. Robbie, who usually did the right thing throughout the series, totally messed up. And Miguel was always a decent kid when he wasn't brooding over Sam. I think Daniel did his best to bring Miyagi's teachings to his students, but he can't control everything they do. No teacher, sensei, or even parent can. But while all of this was going on, it was always crease at war with the world. Just my take. Um, I am going to say that I agree with their take 100%. Yeah, um, a lot of great points. I, Johnny and Daniel, like I said, they do have a certain ownership of what happened, mm-hmm. but it's not their fault. Daniel did, when he tells Mr. Miyagi, I thought I was doing the right thing. Daniel was doing the right thing. Johnny was doing the right thing. Yeah. There were forces at work behind the scenes that maybe Daniel should have known were possible. Johnny didn't know. I mean, Johnny definitely should have known were possible and didn't. Um, it, it's like everything Kreese was doing, he was doing right in front of their faces, but at the same time behind their backs because they were so focused on each other that they weren't looking where they should have been looking, which was at him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Tori takes everything to the extreme and Sam has to defend herself and Robbie tries to break it up and he's trying to do the right thing. And then Miguel is trying to protect Tori and he's trying to do everybody's trying to do the right thing. It just gets so ridiculously out of hand. And I think Chris, did he know it was going to happen in the hallway that way? Did he know that it was going to be that particular fight? No, there's no way he could have known that. But he set it up for his kids to go to war with Daniel. Mm-hmm. And he told them both he was going to do it. He did. In the backyard also. I mean, he 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 may as well have told Daniel point blank, I'm sending my kids after your kids. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Writings were on the wall. Right. Mm-hmm. But they never expected it. No. All right. Dorian, uh, he's got a few points here. It's about average, I would say. Uh, number one, this episode title is ironic. In the season one finale, 
titled Mercy. Robbie showed Mercy at the All Valley, but Miguel didn't show any. In the season two finale titled No Mercy, Miguel showed Mercy to Robbie, but this time Robbie showed none. That's true. Number two, Amanda saying No More Karate mirrors what Carmen said to Miguel in season one. Uh, episode four, a character will only say it when things turn serious. Hmm. It, it's like karate is the no more karate is the go to your room. Okay. I guess. I, I can I, guess I can so. see it. I can see it. I think that what happened in this one was a little bit more maybe serious than Miguel getting a black eye and a couple. This was this was more warranted. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was, was definitely. Severe. I I I I hate. I see where he's going with it. But... Right. I I hate that Amanda took that away from Daniel, but. I absolutely understand. She thinks she's protecting her kids, but the irony here is you take the karate away from your kids, and Amanda, I'm sorry, Sam's dead. Yeah. Yes. I'm trying to think, uh, you know, from all the previous events, if, um, you know, if, like, Miguel never joined Cobra Kai, I mean, she's still going to meet... Miguel, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. It her being her being Daniel LaRusso's daughter and Miguel being Johnny's student had nothing to do with their relationship. That was going to exist no matter what. She was going to be at that party. She was going to kiss him no matter what. The only reason Sam is still alive is because Daniel has been training her to do this since she could walk. Or what if Miguel had never joined Cobra Kai and the tournament never happened so sam no it, all, there's too many other things right um, right too many we'll, other things we'll need to change on. yeah uh number three in terms of who was in the wrong for the brawl in the hall everyone both cobra kai and Miyagi-Do. eventually yeah i mean everyone was involved i don't know everybody was wrong but i I don't know if he meant specifically like whose fault it was miyagi-do or uh, cobra kai um i would say that who who was who was wrong in that fight yeah um everybody was wrong to be fighting at school period right but the miyagi-do kids were literally defending themselves they were attacked they were defending themselves, but each, uh, I mean, there were members on both sides that were trying to stop it. Aisha, uh, Chris. Right, right. They're, right. They're, and and the, the Miyagi-Do student that attacked Aisha to keep her out of Tori and Sam's fight, he threw the first punch. He did the exact opposite of what Daniel had taught him to do. So he was wrong. Um, Sam never gave in to the aggression and the anger and the hatred. She was literally fighting to defend herself the entire time. She never went after Tori the way Tori went after her. So of the four main characters involved in this fight, the only one who wasn't wrong was Sam. Uh Uh-huh. Robbie, completely off the deep end. Um, Number four, I genuinely believe Tori was trying to kill Sam, which you mentioned. Yes. Uh, no one goes to that extreme unless they have a bloodlust. So I, we already touched on that. We'll move it along. Um, five, what happened with Miguel was awful, but unfortunately, I don't have a lot of sympathy. Robbie was close to breaking up uh, breaking up the fight until Miguel made it worse by attacking Robbie. I'm not saying what Robbie did was right, kicking Miguel over, but Miguel did strike first. Um... I'm not sure I agree with all of that completely. 
Um, I do to a certain extent because, like yeah. I like I mentioned when we were talking about that, it's the bad timing. It's yeah. this is all Miguel could see. Now, if he can step back, if he can give himself literally a second to hear the words coming out of Robbie's mouth, he understands. Robbie, at that time, was completely invested in doing the right thing, which was breaking up the fight. Yeah. We we need to calm down. We can work this out. I'm sure we can figure this out. This is what he's saying as Miguel tackles him. Now, not just, you know, I, I had said 10 seconds faster. One second faster. Let him... Should have taken that pee break. Right. Yeah. Don't pee so long next time, Miguel. But it, it's it's like one second so that he can see Robbie pull him off or pull Tori off Sam or that he can actually focus and hear what Robbie is saying. Um, and none of this happens. Miguel didn't have to tackle Robbie. Right. I mean, and it's, you know, again, what Robbie did wasn't intentional too. So, I mean, it was an accident. Um, Dorian does say that, you know, he doesn't have a lot of sympathy. So he does sympathize what happens to Miguel it was an accident. It wasn't intentional. And I don't think anybody is saying that Miguel deserved it. But no, but I think I don't know. I mean, there's also it just occurred to me there's there's a serious parallel between what happened with Robbie and Miguel. Go figure. And what happened with Johnny and Daniel in the apartment. Right. Um, because in the in the apartment, Johnny and Daniel were literally both trying to do the same thing. They were both trying to protect the kids without realizing, hey, dummy, you don't have to protect those kids from this guy. Yeah. Right? Johnny's trying to protect Robbie and Sam from Daniel. Daniel is trying to protect Robbie and Sam from Johnny. That's stupid. They don't have to protect their kids from each other. Right? Right. And here's Robbie trying to protect Sam from Tori, and here's... Miguel trying to protect Tori from Sam and boys stop breathe you don't need to do this you don't need to beat the crap out of each other to protect these two they can take care of themselves right if anything you should continue trying to pull them off of each other exactly um he continues number six uh plus Miguel took advantage of Robbie's pain during the brawl uh i.e his strained relationship with Johnny and that Sam is still in love with Miguel it it seems to be a trick of Miguel's. Um, he finds the injury and he pounces on it. He can't get that out of his, like, fighting repertoire. Yeah. Um, seven, Dimitri finally found balance and was able to defend himself. However, his fight with Hawk is not over. Perhaps season three will show a rematch. Uh, I don't know if Dimitri found balance. No, Dimitri found out that muscle memory actually works. Yeah. So I I think I know what you know Dorian meant, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think Dimitri has found balance yet. Uh, that has you know, yet to be seen, and and you're right. Perhaps season three, maybe season four, because we don't know the details of season three, right? We don't know how much of the kids we're actually gonna see, right? Um, but they've surprised us before, you know. Maybe the Okinawa will be just a one-off episode. Who knows? Uh, the uh. Point number eight, the acting in this episode was first rate, especially from the younger cast. I mean, it was definitely most of them. Um, great choreography. I'm throwing that in there. Yes. You know, so they, they did an amazing job. 
point nine, I'm not going to talk about that last shot involving the friend request because it's just speculation at this point, which we talked about that as well. Yeah, it could go either way. Is she coming back? Is, is it a sign she is coming back or is it a sign that Johnny's done with her entirely? I hope it's the second, but if it's not, then I'll follow where they lead. I'm happy. Mm-hmm. All right. Next comment is from Mike P. No one is no one is going to mention the Johnny Daniel rematch. Okay, then I will. Daniel and Johnny have a friggin' rematch. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was very brief, but awesome nonetheless. Daniel is two and zero with his kick to the door move. No one can beat it. <laughs> Uh, Then the back and forth between their current fight and the All-Valley match, just incredibly shot. It was clearly meant to be just a small taste of what is to come, and I, for one, can't see what is to come. Did did, did Mike hear our podcast from the future, too? He may have, because we talked about that. I got to give it to Mike. Uh, I think he usually brings, you know, some some levity in his feedback, and and I really do enjoy it. So uh, uh, thanks, Mike P., for that. Thank you for pointing out that Ross screamed, or Ross said Rachel's name at the altar. We appreciate that. We missed that. Did you you watch Friends? I I, um, I binged it with my wife in two weeks. Uh, she she watched. Um, I think she yeah she was a Friends watcher, and she got me into it, and then we bought all the DVDs and did a binge. So that was probably the first thing I ever binged. Ever. Uh, okay, so if Johnny and Daniel are our Ross and Rachel. Then this fight was Ross calling his, yeah, it was was Ross calling Emily Rachel Mm. on the altar. This is not the end game. Emma hasn't been born yet. Um, We're not there. There's definitely more coming. You get these. So is Daniel Ross? I don't know. <laughs> you, you have to be right. I mean, you were saying how Daniel Dunn fucked up and all these things about him in this episode. Ross has made a lot of a lot of mistakes. Um, like the that one girl he sleeps with, the one nighter when Rachel tries to come and apologize. Welcome to the Friends podcast. I have been saying for months that the Nico figure is freaking Ross Geller in a sweatshirt, yeah, right? So true. there yeah, we go. Okay, right. okay, Daniel is Ross. They did that on purpose. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's that's what it was. They 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 see Ross when they see Daniel. I don't know. Um, this is the the thread uh, where I mentioned earlier where Joey Z he uh, he says, but who got the worst of the door kick, Freddie or Johnny? So that was actually uh, where I got it, and I that's I, I saw it once I read that comment. There we go. Uh, let's see here. I think the next one's to me. Uh, the next one's from Natty. She says, although it is a bitter pill to swallow, the emotional roller coaster is worth it. The fight was a bit too long for my taste, but that's fine. I got so disappointed with Daniel. I was expecting him to be more coherent, but that is just a perfect mirror for me. The scene with Johnny listening to Miguel's message was heartbreaking. Daniel and Johnny in the elevator was just so, so good. I'll quietly wait for season three, knowing they'll bring the best they can. I will wait for season three. I, ref- I I don't do anything quietly. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I, I was I was waiting for the rest of it. I, I I am too waiting for season three. I mean, we have to get that before four. Right. Right. <laughs> um. It, 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 Daniel's behavior is disappointing. His treatment of Robbie in particular. But unfortunately, as much as I love him, it's also not out of character. That's right. He is a very emotional 
person. And he strikes, I mean, we saw it through the whole first movie. He has not a single chance in hell against Johnny until the end. But he won't leave it alone Mm -hmm. because he's hurt. And he strikes back when he's hurt. And he did it all through the first movie. He did it all through, you know, the second movie. He's done it twice with Robbie now, basically accusing Robbie of being Terry Silver at the end of season one. Um, When he's hurt, he gets defensive and he strikes out and he doesn't really care who he hits. All he knows is that he'll feel better if he can get rid of it. Right. And that's not out of character for him at all. No, it's not. I'm trashing my baby all over the place in this episode, and I hate it. Hey, you know, it's facts. Hashtag facts. It is, but part of the reason that I love Daniel as much as I do is because he's not perfect. Yeah. All right, and next is Kira. I've been trying to put my feelings about this episode into words, but I just can't seem to find them. Pure pain. That's all I've got. Short and simple, just like Amy's uh, recap. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, next one's from Joey Z. For the record, I thought the episode was amazing on many different scales, and I highly doubt another single episode in the series will be quite as impactful or action-packed, but I suppose we'll just have to wait and see about that. Now, Joey, you're selling yourself short a little bit here, or at least doubting the film, uh, you know, the creators here. It's only season two, buddy. Yeah, you you don't peak at the end of season two. Yeah, I mean, after season one, it's like, oh, my God, what can they do to top crease walking through Johnny's front door? Right. You know, and now we're left here where everyone's reeling and everyone's destroyed and Miguel's neck is broken and Robbie is God knows where. And all of this is going on. And it, where can they go? Well, they're going to show us. And it's going to be higher. It will be. Uh, the next one comes from Sarah B. The Wonder was incredible. Hiro and Janelle should have gotten that Emmy. And I see no lies here. No, no lies. No argument. And then from Michael, still sticks with me to this day. The shock, the tears, the balls ending? The balls ending. Sure, balls ended. Okay. Um, <laughs> I didn't know if that was a dude thing that I didn't understand. I I feel this was probably a typo, autocorrect of some sort. The week's that ending stayed with me. I think the fight was epic. Daredevil hallway epic. No one won. Both sides lost. Our heroes are broken. The true empire strikes back of Cobra Kai. A plus 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 plus. Uh, and I, I just wanted to throw this in here. He mentions the Daredevil hallway epic. Uh, old boy actually did it first. So throwing that out there. And you haven't seen either of the old boy movies? No. I'll have to link you the original and see what you think. Um, our last piece of feedback, oh my, and... Philippe had someone, Philippe actually had someone beta read this comment for him to make sure that all of his word choices were what he wanted them to be. He's very invested. Oh, do, mm, I'm sure I'd probably get it right with one guess. He asked and I said no. Oh, Okay. Uh, Because I didn't want his comment to influence my opinions and what I would say during the show until we actually read it on air. So, Got it. All right. So Philippe uh, from Montreal says, For me, the last episode of season two, which showcased some dramatic fights, illustrates the overflow of anger and the debacle created by these two antagonistic dojos. Holy shit. That's like more good vocabs I've ever used in all the episodes I've done here. Right. Right. 
It started with Daniel and Johnny's fight, and it continued with the kids in school with the aberrant intrusion made by Tori in the communication room when she threatened Samantha over at the school's general inter- intercom. The conflict started by the young woman turned quickly into a clan fight. It became a controllable and endless until the shocking and dramatic fall of Miguel. Miguel seems to be a widely loved character, and his vicious accident will both unite some people and divide others. What a mess. Johnny is psychologically shaken because his son Robbie is the one who caused the fall of his student, whom he loves, and uh, and who he and who gives him a new paternal sense. Johnny, who also starting to reconnect with his son before this tragedy occurred, the victim's mother Carmen, whom he coveted as a potential lover, rejected Johnny, as she feels he is responsible for what happened to her son. What a hard and complex issue. And to make the case worse, John Kreese stole his dojo right, right out from under him. This seemed to be his plan all along. Now, not only did Johnny potentially lose his son and star pupil, but also has his main source of but also his main source of income. The situation is probably contestable by legal action, but does he really want to go through all of that? Johnny's life is truly in shambles, just when things were looking up for him. For Daniel LaRusso, the incident may affect him differently in more insidious ways, but just as detrimental. First and foremost, his daughter suffered some major injuries in the hands of Tori, who, without a doubt, committed an armed assault on Samantha. The experience must have been extremely traumatic for her. Daniel, no doubt, is out for blood because of this. Where it gets really complicated for Daniel is the fact that Robbie is his main student for his dojo, also his company, LaRusso Auto Group cannot be dissociated with Robbie. Remember that disaffiliation was announced at the last tournament. His car dealership, along with his dojo, was also promoted in the public fair. Also, Daniel used the karate uh, aspect in his marketing campaigns in and in season two. He offered free karate sessions to the kids. All those facts could undermine his corporate image in association with this high school drama. Could local media report the case? And if they do, will they be fair and unbiased? Hopefully, but we never know. Could Carmen be tempted to sue Miyagi-Do Karate and and or Daniel? Furthermore, will Daniel forgive Robbie despite his horrible mistake? Will he reject him? Sadly, Robbie had done pretty well by trying to stop the aggression of Tori before Miguel jumped on him. Mr. Miyagi's wisdom is sorely lacking here. Finally, how will... How will the whole event affect his weakened relationship with his wife, Amanda? There are so many unanswered questions, and the writers did a great job creating so much suspense for the next season. The theories and predictions are endless. Watching season 2 back in May and having to wait so long for season 3 truly made this past summer a cruel summer. Season 3, I just can't wait. But of course, we all have to. Damn, Philippe. Wow, that was actually... He put some thought into it, didn't he? He did. He did. <laughs> he put a lot of thought into it. You know, I, I I'm okay with this because, um, I mean, it's it's the season finale. It's it's very brutal, uh, and like Philippe said, it, it left a lot of questions. But um, when I posted that thread, I asked for brief feedback because I knew a lot of people were going to have something to say. And I guess you know, it what better way to end the feedback with that feedback? <laughs> well, we haven't done Twitter yet, though. 
Yeah, those are really short. Yeah, they are very short. Maybe I should just start putting the thread on Twitter. There we go. <laughs> 140 characters, characters or 280, yeah. whichever you qualify for. Um, a couple of things that he said in here. Um, I don't think Johnny could get the dojo back through legal means because Kreese right. did found it. And actually, I would say that in a copyright or trademark dispute, the victor would actually be Kreese. And then if he has the actual signed lease from Armand, that's absolutely going to trump Johnny saying, well, he shook my hand. Oh, absolutely. And we don't even know what what Johnny signed. Right. Um, I had not thought about the potential impact on the dealership specifically through Robbie. Um, I think there's possibly going to be some blowback onto the dealership just through Daniel. And the fact that they, neither Johnny nor Daniel can separate themselves from their kids at this point. And this happened and they were their teachers. And, you know, suddenly the, the, um, yeah, posing for photo ops, crane kicks, autographs to sell cars, uh, jovial local hero, uh, you know, it trained a band of thugs that beat the crap out of each other in a high school hallway. I don't I, I, I don't think he could possibly avoid any repercussions for the dealership just based on that, just based on himself. Um, right. I don't think Carmen would think to sue Daniel, but I can also absolutely see Daniel and Amanda offering to pay all of Miguel's bills. Yeah. Just because they can. And Daniel does feel responsible for what happened. Right. As far as the trauma for Daniel goes, um, I think it's the exact same as it is for Johnny. He's lost everything. You know, they were they were both doing what their heart told them was right. And it ended up blowing up spectacularly in their face and taking everyone they love down with it. Tell me about it. (laughs) (laughs) I yeah. mean, and there could be a really dark joke to me to be made about taking it down. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we got a couple tweets on the, the Twitters, and I am a little saddened that nobody corrected me on my uh, misspelling of submit. It ended up being summit uh, feedback. Oh, well, blame autocorrect, and no one yeah. will ever know. No, no, it was definitely stupid autocorrect, but uh, I just caught it today, and I tweeted this out. Oh, it was just yesterday. but um, Chalk it up with all those times that I have told you and Amy to duck off. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do duck off, though. I take that quite literally. Um, all right, the, the very first tweet comes from uh, Jen at SweepTheLeg84, and it's just uh, two crying emojis, and I agree. So that is a total of... Eight or is it six? Um, let's see. From her specifically, uh, do 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 do. I think she had. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So, so a total of eight. Yeah, Jen. Twitter. Jen's still crying. She's um, still crying. Yes. Uh, five months later. Yes. Six months later. Forty forty some viewings later. I still am. So. And then we have. Um, Bloodsport 689 and his comment is Daniel moved Robbie into his house for an entire summer and didn't tell Johnny and everything was fine 
But when Sam stays at Johnny's house for one night and Johnny doesn't tell Daniel there's a problem, treat others how you want to be treated. Now, I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to say I've been having this argument since April 25th, and I'm tired of it. There is a huge, huge difference between giving a homeless child whose father walked out on him and whose mother went to Mexico without him a place to stay. And Daniel did go to tell Johnny. And who was there? And do you really think that Daniel is going to let any child fall under Crease's tutelage considering what happened to him when he was Robbie's age? And letting someone's drunk daughter sleep in your bed. There's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Johnny got very holier than thou with the, the, and, and Daniel called him on it, right? The, who are you to tell me how to be a parent? I've been doing this for 16 years. Where the hell have you been? Right. Well, Daniel's been raising Johnny's son. That's where he's been. And when Sam needs somewhere to hide because she got drunk off her ass, first place she goes is to Johnny. And you don't stand between a parent and their missing child. You just don't. Two completely different situations. That's my opinion. I agree. I agree. I agree with your opinion. Um, all right. Well, that's the that's the end of our feedback on all it of is. the social medias. Yeah. So I want to thank everybody for, uh, especially if you listen to this far. I mean, I can't even guess how long this episode is going to be because there was a little break that we took. But... Um, you know, I, w- I want to thank everybody for your guys' continued support. I know I say it, um, you know, in every episode, and I really do mean it on every episode. So what is coming up, uh, you know, now that we have caught up on all of our episode reviews? Well, we have a lot of fun stuff uh, in the works. Um, you know, we uh, plan on a collaboration with the Cobra guys, obviously. Uh, some bonus, I already said bonus episodes, but some games that we have in mind that we would like to do. And we didn't get a chance to do it last season, but we want to uh, review movies and other work that, uh, you know, the cast members have done. Um, So plenty of stuff to still come. We're not going to just wait until next spring, you know, to put out an episode. So hopefully you guys subscribed, especially if you're a newer listener. Uh, Something new also, uh, we created a YouTube channel and there is an episode uh, up right now. you know, written, produced, created by uh, our very own Brianna. Uh, doing very, very well. Got a lot of eyes out there on it. It seems to be going over pretty well. Um, a lot of, you know, YouTube content that you get for Cobra Kai is ridiculous clickbaity titles. Um, the people that really need to learn what the word confirmed means. Um, it doesn't mean I'm pulling this out of my ass. It means that someone who actually is in a position to know this information confirmed that I'm right. Um, because there's a lot of thing. Mike Barnes returns confirmed. No, it's not. Um, right. yeah, I hate those. And, and uh, uh, Mr. Miyagi was always the bad guy. I mean, who even, you know, uh, there's a lot of that kind of content out there for Cobra Kai and a lot of rumor mill and a lot of half truths and, what we are doing with ours is actual character analysis and story analysis and going deeper with the characters and the story arcs and parallels and things like that than we can even on the podcast. Um, 
uh, you know, digging into Crease's mind. The next episode will be um, written by none other than Mr. Peter, our uh, fabulous host, and I, it will I be written anything since high school. So we'll see. <laughs> the next episode will be Mr. Miyagi. And then after that will be Daniel. And then after that will be Amy with Johnny. Does she know that? Yes, she does. Okay. And if she didn't before, she does now. Well, I I, I knew uh, I know that she has heard you say that, but has she agreed to it? <laughs> I guess it's the real question. Amy Amy is doing Johnny because no one else could do him justice. All right. Uh, all right. So what else do we do here? Um, I guess we do some pimping. Um, you know, I, I think no, that's I'm... on that other Ralph show, The Deuce. That's where the pimps are. Oh, okay. I, I wouldn't know anything about that. Um, all right. Well, you know, if, if if you guys have any other feedback or anything you want to send our way, uh, you could do it. You know, in the group, uh, the 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 name of the group and the link is in the show notes. Uh, we have the Twitter at Cobra Kai Pod on Instagram at Cobra Kai Podcast. If you have some suge- suggestions or um. Let's just go with suggestions because I don't want somebody just saying, hey, do this movie uh, or like, hey, do this episode. Send us suggestions and then we'll see what we can do. Um, but yeah, we we still plan on being active uh, with putting out content. Uh, again, there's going to be, you know, some more consistency, uh, at least in, you know, not trying to figure out who's going to be on what episode. It's going to be me and Brianna. Uh, at least her in the interim, and I, I don't have any other uh, plans to bring in somebody new at this point. Um, if you guys uh, really do like what we do here, please consider taking a couple minutes to leave us a, a review on Apple Podcasts, your star rating, and your words to anybody considering checking us out does really help. And especially when season three comes around or even some of these newbies that are going up on YouTube, somebody's going to be looking for a Cobra Kai companion podcast. And, you know, your guys' ratings and reviews is going to bump us up a little bit more in their results. So, um, you know, if you want to thank us, you can thank us by doing that. That is really going to help. Uh, Another bit of news here to throw out for our podcast uh, it has not launched yet at the time of this recording. I know some people have been asking about merch. Uh, we do have a store currently on Threadless, uh, but I have not published it yet because we currently only have one design. So if you are interested in possibly um, helping us out and submitting some of uh, you know your ideas for designs, please reach out to us. Uh, we do have an email, cobrakaipod at gmail.com, uh, which should also be in the show notes. So a lot of things to come. Um, that's going to be another way to help support us and keep the lights on here at Cobra Kai Companion. So, uh, Brianna, where can listeners find you if they want to continue the conversation about No Mercy and anything Cobra Kai and Karate Kid? Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, YouTube. Um, I am Brianna25. I am also Brianna25 now on Facebook because they let me put the number in my URL, um, which for some stupid reason I was Brianna75. I was Brianna2575. And it was like, (laughs) that's just stupid. So I took the 75 out because it's not even the right year. Um, So... Yeah, I'm Brianna25, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, um, YouTube, Archive of Our Own, fanfiction.net, 
pretty basically all of your main social medias. If you look for Brianna25 with the H, I am the only one. So you're going to find me eventually. Yeah. Also, you know, if you guys are a newer listener and haven't checked out the 33 plus interviews that uh, we have done, if you go to CobraKaiCompanion.com, all the uh, interviews are posted up there. So uh, easier access. Uh, so that's going to do it. You can find me at Podstagic on Instagram and Twitter. That is my retro movie review podcast. Or as I had mentioned, Cobra Kai Pod. Um, so that's going to do it. Uh, thanks everybody again for tuning in for season two. Um, this was a rough season, you know, and um, and I mean that in the best possible way. Uh, can't wait for season three. And hopefully you guys check us in for, uh, you know, the bonus stuff in the meantime. I feel I, I feel right now kind of like I did at, you know, 5.30 a.m. on April 24th, which was I, you know, it gave them no end of crap about hurry up and get this done. And now it's done. And I don't want it to be. Yeah. Well, I mean, we have a few more seasons, hopefully. Fingers well, yeah. Crossed. Yep. Yep. But season two is over. Done. In the can. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Court and Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court and Parts shows, visit courtemparts.com. The season finale, season finale of. Uh, <laughs> that sounds stupid. Oh, oh there, there you go. That's why you're on the show. Um, uh, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> oh, <clears throat> no, I'm uh, trying to figure out where, where I left oh, off. Oh, Daniel's showing up. Hang on. Okay. Hello. Why are you, what are you, you're off 45 minutes early? Okay. Oh, okay. She closed the store early. Okay. I will be right there. Okay. All right. Bye. Okay. Manager closed the store an hour early. Alexa, play Totally Awesome 80s. Alexa, volume down. Stupid fucking game. Come on. Asshole. Oh, fuck you. Hello? Hello. Okay, you ready? Alexa, stop. She made an appearance on my review of uh, Raising Dion with Matt Lewis. Alexa did? Yeah. No, uh, Siri. Oh, Siri. Okay, yeah. Well, now Because now I that... said series, so I figured it out. Uh, with me, it's usually seriously that sets yeah. her off. Um, but Alexa, like, just, like, randomly comes on. Um, and then, like... Um, I can't even remember what I was talking to my daughter about the other day. And I said something and I called her baby. Right. And then, 
this the, the, the Echo Dot bitch goes adding baby to your shopping list, and I went and I looked, and what there the in our hell? Amazon Prime shopping list, it now says baby. So if Amazon ever sells babies, Be I'm careful. I'm getting one. All right, so we were done. Uh, we were just talking about our uh, Sam. Yeah, so let's see. Here. Really fucked up youths that we yeah. had. You just ruined that poor baby's whole day, Daddy. Oh God, he's he is loud. He's downstairs. His voice is projecting all over the house, and he's just playing video games sitting next to his uncle. Oh well, you know it's the video games. Yeah, I know, but he's just he just needs to be told to turn it down a lot of notches i have a 20 year old that i have to say that to on a routine basis Devin, really uh, please stop screaming obscenities i'm trying to sleep <laughs> sorry mom Fortnite uh-huh. game two amanda saying no more karate why, why did i do that i don't know amanda saying no more karate <laughs> <laughs> no we're gonna laugh every time you oh, try man. to say karate aren't we uh, i think so you're saying it that way that Daniel says it all through the second movie that, Ugh. oh, God, sets my teeth on edge. And he's done it twice. <laughs> Hang on. My chair just tried to kill me, so I'm going to repeat that whole thing. Oh, the, the, oh, the falls ending weeks, the, the weeks that ending stayed with me. The shock, the tears, the falls ending. I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, we go with the balls ending. There we go. <laughs> the, <laughs> the balls. That's what the man wrote. <laughs> the tears, the balls oh, ending. Oh, my it. God. Are we back to the dick measuring contest at the table? Yeah, sure. Popo. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Um, on... Twitter and Tumblr. Um, oh my gosh, I know I I suck at self promotion. Um, we'll talk to you guys next time. I don't have anything. <laughs>